everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. Today, we are talking about the little golden men appearing on the Super Bowl of movies, celebrating 2023's biggest films. If only they had the ratings of the Super Bowl which is now the most televised event in history this year. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about the 96th Academy Awards. We'll start by breaking the ice with our opinions and overall thoughts on this year's program, including the nominees, and then we'll move on to our main feature of this week's special episode, an annual tradition here at the Cinematropolis. We will go through most of the Oscar categories and provide our predictions. I say most because I'm just going to set expectations right now. Sorry, no uh, short animated film, short film, or short documentary. Sorry, guys. And of course... We can't do the Oscars show alone. We're rejoined for, hold on, what's this, like the seventh year? Mm-hmm. I think seventh year. For the seventh year by my co-host and award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker, Laurent Chapman. Laurent, welcome back. Thanks for having me. It is Christmas in February for me um, to have this conversation. So I feel like I spend an exorbitant amount of time throughout the year preparing for this this conversation. So I'm I'm informed and happy to be here. I'm so happy you're here. Laurent, I, I just want you to know, I know you were going to be a- unfortunately out of town the night of the Oscars. I'll be at South by Southwest, you know, um, but I'm hearing that we will find us a nice little cozy spot to watch it there while we're there. So which is perfect. Yeah. You being at South by Southwest that night is the best news for everyone else who's attending my Oscars party who wants <laughs> to actually win the prize because otherwise they would be screwed. Yes, yes, yes that's fair. That is fair. <laughs> also super excited to be rejoined for the second year in a row. She's the arts entertainment features writer for the Oklahoma and Brandy McDonald. Brandy, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me again this year. Well, after your tar take last year, I thought that we have to tar have takes, you back. Tar takes. Tar takes. I don't have any of them this year that I'm that mad about. So, I mean, not about the ones that are nominated. There's a few that aren't nominated that I'm pretty irritable about, but I don't think I'm tar levels of <laughs> of uh, rancor about anything. Well, listeners, before we get into our annual discussion where we predict the Oscars, uh, firstly, hey, if you are planning to watch the Oscars. Uh, I believe that is the evening of Sunday, March 10th, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, a new time. These are our takes. You know, we are offering all this free consulting to you uh, as an opportunity if you want to look like the coolest person at your Oscars party. And we will absolutely not be held accountable in any way if you're wildly wrong. You know, this is a, this is a, me making a disclaimer right are, now. Please leave a comment. Yeah, yeah. But if you're right, you 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 do owe it to us to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because, ladies and gentlemen, I want to get to 200 reviews this year. We're only at number 40. So to get there, that means if you have an iPhone, you should pull up your iPhone. You go to the podcast app. You look up the podcast. You scroll to the bottom and hit five stars. Please do it. Let us know what you think of the show. And, hey, maybe you have some feedback or some thoughts you want us to know. Include that in a little review, or maybe you just love the show, and you can just put that, love the show. You can leave us that rating review specific on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would really appreciate your support. Without further ado, let's get into our overall thoughts on this year's Oscar nominations. Laurent, we've had a few sort of small talks here and there in earlier episodes, kind of reacting to the Oscar narrative conversation, but what are your overall thoughts on this year's nominations? I had to sneak watch the awards this year because I was bright and early starting pre-production on a film that was shooting here locally and you know I had to pretend to go to the bathroom for 20 minutes just so I can just so I can hear them live and not watch the recaps of them 
Um, but I was, um, there were a couple of surprises, but for the most part, I was, I was, you know, the things I expected to happen here did. And, um, and I'm generally pretty happy with the, with the nominees. I think all of the best pitcher nominees this year, I awarded a four or a four and a half on Letterboxd. So I liked all the movies this year. There's not like a weird outlier where I'm like, why the hell is this here? You know what I mean? Like, which, so, which the Oscars ha- has a reputation of doing. Yeah. There's normally two that you're like, huh? You know, like, so I'm, 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 I'm happy with the ones that are here. So, um, and you know, obviously there are some misses. Um, I would have loved to have seen a Greta Lee nomination here. Um, that's would have swapped maybe Annette Benning, who I'm also gunning to have an Oscar one day, but not this year. Not for Nyad. Not for Nyad, you know, like maybe something else, you know, but Greta Lee would have been a really nice roundup. I would have, that would have been a perfect lineup for me. That's uh, l- listeners. That is Greta Lee, the star of past lives. Yes. Yes. Um, and I would have also liked to have seen a surprise Celine Song director nomination yes. here. Um, that's something that I personally just, it's one of my favorite movies this year. It's a small movie. Um, before we got to the juggernauts of the fall season, I really feel like that it seemed like Past Live was in the winning conversation and then it very quickly was not, you know, so... Um, I, I'd hope that we would see this, one of those kind of sneak in here. Celine Song did get nominated for screenplay. She did, uh, yeah. which is not director, not director, but, but noteworthy, but noteworthy, absolutely. And for her first film, by absolutely, the way, yeah, for her debut, very, very, very impressive. Also, no May December love zero whatsoever. I would have liked to have seen a Charles Melton here, or you know, that is crazy. We that was the talk for a while. Yeah, that he was the, considered Charles the third choice here for so long, and then. It it just it, it showed up in screenplay I think but that's it and and then finally I was a big fan of all of us strangers would have loved to have seen a couple of acting noms there you know like but you know other than that I mean for the most part everything that's here I enjoyed for the most part so uh, more bad news for all of us strangers fans apparently it's not getting a physical release is something I read online oh, really? um, I'm gonna validate that but the the Fox 20th Century for, mm. person on Twitter had. Posted about it. Oh, and to fact check that, but That's frustrating. <laughs> um, that is uh, deeply sad because that movie is fantastic and people should see it. Randy, what are your overall thoughts on this year's nominations? Uh, well, I would, I would say overall, I felt like this was a pretty strong lineup and a pretty strong year for movies, almost to the point where you, maybe it's just me, but I wonder, is there anything that's going to even be we're seeing in 2024 hmm. um a little bit it makes you a little bit worried for 2024 maybe we should save some of these for 2024 <laughs> i mean just just wondering but I, i'm i'm pretty happy with the i mean like all but one and this is this comes to my yorgos i guess disclaimer which is that i'm not the biggest fan i'm not a big fan of the born sexy yesterday woman child sort of trope i feel like it's very overdone and so I was, I've not watched Poor Things yet because, I mean, I honestly told somebody this and made them laugh, but if a if a meteor hits the earth or I die suddenly, I don't want to have necessarily wasted time watching that movie <laughs> unless it becomes absolutely necessary. So I will probably watch it before the Oscars, but it will probably be the last thing I do before the Oscars. Like, oh, well, okay, I guess I have to watch it now. I don't hate his work. It just doesn't really resonate with me too much. And it, and it does... Unfortunately, in this case, it, it feels wildly predictable to me because when I heard there was going to be an adaptation, but it was going to be gender swapped of Frankenstein, it's like, oh, well, it'll be all about sex. You know, and I'm not saying it's all about sex, but it there's a lot about sex. It's like, of course, if it's going to if the monster is going to be female, she's going to be, 
sort of a manic pixie child who has to figure out what sex is. And it's like, oh, thanks for doing exactly what I thought you were going to do with <laughs> it. it. it so. it's, not, it's not all about sex, but it is. And that sex it's is the, lot, is the yeah. mechanism in which she discovers her identity and her worldview. Yeah. And we think that that's exactly how, if it were a male monster, that's how he'd figure out his identity, right? You raised a great it's, point. It's a great question. I mean, it's a great question. I mean, it's it's a it's an overused trope for a reason. That whole I mean, think of, I mean, there's so many things that you uh, you know, everything from Splash to Fifth Element. She was born yesterday. She's completely innocent, but she's god awful sexy. Please teach her everything she needs to know. But make sure you use sex for it. And I mean, I'm just not not a huge fan of the trope. Not a big enough fan of the filmmaker to to necessarily uh, take that ride with him mm. until it becomes absolutely necessary, which again will probably be the day before the Oscars. I'll be like, all right, <laughs> I guess I'll watch your movie so that I can. You know, so that when they play the clips and the Emma wins the uh, the Oscar, you can be like, you can roll your eyes and be like, ugh, why? If if uh, if Emma beats Lily Gladstone for that Oscar, I'm joining a group of native ladies I know to. Ride on the Academy. <laughs> so they better watch out. Um, no, that's um, that's one that I definitely feel strongly about on this. I'm sure we'll talk more about that when we talk about Best Actress. But I love Lily Gladstone. And I think she was fantastic. And she made that movie. I, I was not disappointed about a movie that I'd spent nearly three years writing about. And um, that is pretty impressive to me. Um, but I think 90% of the reason why I loved it as much as I did was because of her. And so I think she's fantastic. I think that her nomination is way overdue and I think she absolutely deserves to win. And I will accept nothing less than that in uh, good grace anyway. So if she were to, we'll, we'll talk about more, uh, later, but I, I will just put it this way. I feel like, and you can, Weigh the merits of Emma Stone's performance, but I, I just I'm, I'm feeling like if she wins, we're gonna look back in like ten years and be like, huh? We could have we could have given it to Lily Gladstone, who has a. I, I just feel like Killers of Flower Moon is gonna have more staying power in the long run. Frankly, not nothing against Poor Things movie I liked. I didn't love as much as Laron or a lot of people, but I'd like it. But I just don't think it's gonna have the sort of impact that Killers of the Flower Moon has had. Personally, I could be wrong. Laron, ten years from now. We'll have this conversation. Conversation. We'll you can tell me doing wrong. This, I guess hey. book it. But I mean, I also would have loved to have seen Greta Lee um, yeah. get yeah. the best, get a best actress nod. I would have loved to have seen. I was a big fan of the holdovers. I would have loved to have seen Dominic Sessa get a supporting actor nomination. I was disappointed. That was probably the only ones I was most disappointed in that category. Um, I was not as disappointed about Margot Robbie not being in best um, actress, but I am disappointed not to see Greta in Best Director. I don't know if the Academy can hear me, but it it's okay if there's two women. <laughs> there's two women. In two, the Best what? Director women. category. And if it happens two years in a row, I promise you, the, it's, the, okay. The, it's okay. The globe won't stop turning. It won't accelerate climate change any more than it already has been accelerated it's fine i don't know i hear barbie used a lot of pink paint so much so that the carbon footprint of the movie grew tremendously I'm just joking. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I really do feel like that's something that's like oh well you can't be mad because there's a there's a woman nominated and it's like really i can still be mad i promise 
Um, I uh, So I am disappointed to see that somebody, I feel like the director category ought to reflect just, I mean, it's obvious that there's going to be some people left out, right? I mean, there's 10 movies that are nominated for Best mm -hmm. Picture. Five people are going to be unnominated. So be five there. people at least are going to be there. But I do feel like the people who win Best Director ought to be, in, it ought to be indicative of somebody who is the vision of the film, right? Right, that's, that's fair. Essentially what it ought to be. And I don't, I think it's very difficult to look at Barbie and look at the impact and look at the success of that film and not say, oh, it owes something to that director's vision. Right. Right? No, I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't disagree. No, I, I mean, I, yeah. I just feel like that's something that really was disappointing because it didn't feel like her vision, um, she was rewarded for that. And I I feel like as a as a woman watching the Oscars and a female film critic and some things like that, you just, you, you know things that are coming. It's like, oh, She's going to get the consolation prize, the screenplay award. Got it. Except for now it's adapted screenplay because it's based on copyrighted material. Yeah, that's a, that's, a a, that's a problem. It's a, it's, a, it's a doll. Yeah. It's a doll. Yeah. Really? It's a doll. And the thing is, I know people are like, well, but there are there are those little Barbie cartoons. Like, yeah, but it's not adapted from those. It's not adapted from no, no, those. This is a, a bold original idea that includes yeah. the toy. And yeah, every precursor award up to this point. Was original has an original. Yes, the, the, uh, the Academy is the only one who has decided who decided that this should be adapted. Yeah. Very unusual. I think you see some weirdness in the in like some of the like peculiarities of of the Academy and their rules really show up this year in in very odd ways and interesting ways. I feel like that's a big one of like everybody saying this is original material except the Oscars who decide that this is an adapted screenplay. I think another one is. Anatomy of a Fall, which I really, really liked. But it's the only, I mean, it's got all these nominations. It's not nominated for Best International, International. Film because that's not the one that got through the formal process of France deciding yeah. to make that their official, you know, nominee, which I think is a very odd system when you think about it. Mm. I mean, can you, I mean, it's a very strange system. I think it sort of exposed some of the weakness of that system, which is you have a movie that was big at Cannes. You have mm -hmm. a movie that has gotten all of these other nominee nominations, and it's not gonna gonna vie for international. Which it would certainly because, win, you know, almost because, certainly. You yeah. know, it's and it doesn't even get a chance because yeah. the 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 national film right mechanism of France had to decide that that was the one mm -hmm. to enter in the contest. And I'm telling you, between that and the zone of interest, I think that would have been a real race, yeah. too. Yeah, sure. Really would have, yeah. And I sure. think now it's, like, obviously not one, so. Yeah. The, you mentioned adapted screenplay, and I, um, I, I want to talk a little more about Barbie in a second. Uh, what's interesting there, though, is I hear you. You are correct. I, I do think director is a very competitive category, Personally, if I were writing it, I would drop either Yorgos or Glazer uh, and put Gerwig in there for my my tastes. But I can understand the argument that why you wouldn't do that. Still, I agree. There's no rule that says two women who made exceptional films, and there's at least three I can think of right off the top of my head, oh, yeah. could be nominated. And then on the screenplay, though, that one's interesting because by switching it, to Adapted, it actually kicked Killers of the Flower Moon out of that category. It did. So I which I'm disappointed in, but also I think that is a testament to that screenplay that mm -hmm. it's kicking a Martin Scorsese co-written film out of 
a, yeah. a screenplay nomination, which also is not really a, a great sign for Killers of Flower Moon. She and, <laughs> and so. Noah did create it. They did it. That's their that's that is their DNA all over that film, and so there's acknowledgement there. But I do agree with you that I, I would have liked to have seen Greta there. Um, in it was a it was not a good day for women named Greta that day at the Oscars. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that. It did overshadow some of the things that were good. I mean, this is some of the most diverse, like, set of nominees that we. Which is normally have. the narrative every year. It's yeah, like it's we normally, don't have. Yeah, we don't have any diversity. That's normally a big problem here. And we don't have that problem. And so I, I don't, I feel like it's, it's easy to get lost in that whole, like, outrage over that one thing. But I mean, there's some really great things that happened this year in terms of of the nominees i mean i, I two african-american men in best actor i mean yeah mm-hmm. yeah the planet didn't stop turning Ron, it didn't <laughs> look yeah so, exactly look. it's fine you it's can fine. do that you uh, don't even have to look at it this way when it, just... and lily gladstone being an indigenous first indigenous woman nominated for best lead actor uh just american. american thank yeah, you native indigenous american, american. Yeah, yes uh, yeah, yeah. Right. thank you good good a very important yeah. distinction there yes because yeah. there are have been indigenous women but they have not been native american women right. so they're right, not right. american so. I want, I'm going to dig into Barbie a little more in a second. I just really quickly want to echo overall. I thought the nominations were really strong. I like LeBron. You said there's no weird. Why is this movie here? We're not going to have to worry about being upset uh, that Green Book is beating you know. No, first don't look up. Yeah, like what? Like, right. It's a, it's a, <laughs> a few snubs uh, that you haven't. You guys haven't already mentioned, and this, this, these are probably a little more personal to me. Um, best original score. I I really thought I. The Academy, I feel like, sometimes takes big steps forward for animated films, and then they take two steps back. And in this, in this case, I really felt like both Daniel Pemberton uh, for Across the Spider-Verse and Joe Hisayashi for The Boy and the Heron had great scores, incredible scores, like my yes, two so favorite scores of the year. And it got beat out by American Fiction, got beat out and by... I can't even remember. Which, the, which, again, I like that movie, but the score was certainly not... The rem- standout. Not even close. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't tell hum the tune to that movie. Yeah. Um, you know, Indy Indiana Jones. Again, I love John Williams. Yeah. I didn't really think that was an especially How different is it though? Right. That's the issue. It's, it's playing like... the greatest hits. Yeah. Basically. It's, yeah, it's, a... it's not bad. It just it's yeah, fine. It's, yeah. Um so anyway, small 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 nitpick. Um I on that note, I really would have loved to have seen the Born the Heron get a best picture nomination. Didn't think it was gonna happen, but there was that part of my heart that was Hoping we get an animated in that lineup of Tim. And then, of course, I've already mentioned it. No Killers the Flower Moon in adapted screenplay. You know, I made the joke about Leo. Disappointed, eh, maybe a little bit. But frankly, I really appreciate how he has really used the campaign to promote Lily Gladstone, Gladstone. even before the nominations came out. Because he's basically like, yeah, this is her movie. Yeah. Let's, and to be honest, you know, with, I know he was one of the snubs. That people mentioned that was kind of expected. And Leo's great. I love Leo. He had his narrative the year of the Revenant where people were like, give him, you know, how many Please times, give it to him. How many times has he been snubbed? <laughs> yeah. He had his moment in the light in the spotlight for that and he's gotten that. So he doesn't need this nomination, even if some people think he, you know, he deserved it, maybe. Um and I say I honestly feel the same way about Robert De Niro. I think they're both great. I think they're yeah. both great in the movie. I think they're both they're they've proven to be great. I just think this isn't the year where it's like they they have to have them. They right. they're overly right. decorated. We know who they are. Everyone, you know what I mean. Like the fact that Lily Gladstone was in a movie, in a Scorsese movie with two titans and steals the movie. You know what I mean? Is 
this is her. Tell you what you need to know. It tells you what you need to know about this year and who we should be focusing on. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's my note about Leo. It's like, it would have been nice to have seen him, but also, like you said, there's that him not being there leaves room for other incredible performers, and he's able to use his leverage uh, clout to promote who's the real star of the film, frankly, at least the heart of the film, uh, I would say. So, okay. Public out cry on Barbie. Let's just, it's the elephant in the room. We've already talked around it. No Greta Gerwig nomination. Uh, so I, Lamont, like you, I, the, the nominations came out on a day when I was unavailable. I was literally offline that day, yeah, <laughs> like the whole day, 10 PM. And I finally get that night that I finally get to look at the nominations and wowza, there was some people I, I'm looking, I'm like, Oh, this is a pretty good lineup. I'm, I'm surprised. There's a few surprises. No Greta Gerwig and director. I'm like, that's oh, a kind of a bummer. Uh, yeah, I would have liked to have seen Greta Lee. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, well, you know what? This is a pretty good run. Like we've mentioned, the positives, and a lot of diversity. These are all good movies. No weird disappointments. I wonder what the internet. Oh my god, the Oscars are sexist. Oh, they didn't nominate Margot Robbie or Greta Gerwig in their categories, and I'm like, well, yeah, that's a good point. That's kind of weird that Ryan Gosling would get nominated for best supporting actor, but then Margot Robbie doesn't get best lead actress. On the surface, I'm like, yeah, I can see why people were mad. But then you stop and actually look. Wait, wait, Barbie got eight nominations, though. So I just want to turn it over to you guys to talk, and I'll start with you, Bam. Like, in terms of Barbie's sort of placement at the Oscars, you mentioned you're disappointed by Greta Gerwig, which I think is a very reasonable disappointment. And I, I'm definitely a lot more upset about that one than I am Margot Robbie. But what's your take on how the film has been treated and exactly how that conversation online has shaped up? I mean, Hillary Clinton's over here tweeting about it and it's just like, wow. You're enough. she said. I, I really just think that it's, it's a little bit of a perfect storm, the reaction, because it sort of fulfills the message of the movie, doesn't it? I mean, whenever like literally Ryan Gosling gets uh, gets nominated and Margot and Greta get left out. It's sort of like, of course, of course. It's like you sort of make the point of the movie, right? Whenever that happens. And so I think for people, it, it just worked out in that it was something that people could really grasp onto, like the un, like why it was unfair. Yeah. I mean, I think people could really look at it and say, this is what the movie talked about and this is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think that... You know, I just really feel like people were disappointed because it made such an impact. It made such a pop culture impact. And that wasn't ignored. But at the same time, like, what does exactly she have to do to win Best Director? Like, what's she got to do at this point? She's been nominated once or twice. I can't remember which. I think... I know for Lady Bird, right? And Definitely. Then, yeah. But I and don't then twi- yeah, twice for screenplay, because once for yeah. Little Women and once for Lady mm-hmm. Bird. But she's been nominated once. She broke every record in every category with this film and made an enormous cultural impact, because obviously box office isn't everything. But she made an enormous cultural impact with a film that had a very resonant message but also a film that, again, I think that there's so much of it is that this is her vision. It's her vision of Barbie. Her vision of Barbie, of a film that has people have tried to make now for ten years. Mm-hmm. That's gone through all of these different iterations, and you take something like Barbie that's got a lot of. I think it's very complicated how people feel, particularly women, feel about Barbie. But you take all of that and you wrap it all up into something that's 
amazing, awesome. It has such impact. And she still can't even get nominated, much less win Best Director. I feel like it just really felt like salt and like really rubbed into the wounds of what Barbie's talking about. I mean, I really feel like that's a lot of the beef that people have. I was very disappointed that she wasn't nominated. And I really feel like it's hard to argue that these people did a better job of being a director for their film. Do you think that, do you think though the eight nominations, including American Ferrer and supporting actress and we do Margot Robbie is still nominated as a producer Producer. for best picture. Greta Gerwig is still nominated for screenplay. Is that like a more insulting consolation prize? Or do you think that is a worthy acknowledgement that the movie was important? I think it just kind of gets overshadowed by the fact that this was, this was the thing that it felt like it deserved, I guess, to people. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say right or wrong on that, but I also think that there's a sense that it's not going to be Oppenheimer for Best Picture that the Academy is going to follow its usual path on what it decides to honor. So it was probably never going to give it to Barbie. And so the nomination was supposed to be like the award, I think to a lot of people and she doesn't even get nominated. So I feel like that is, is really interesting um, to me to see all this play out when it, particularly if you go back to Barbenheimer, right? Mm -hmm. You go back to these two films Going, you know, going head to head and all this kind of stuff to save the box office and things like that. And then clearly Barbie won as a box office. Oh, yeah. Although you cannot, you cannot scoff at the box office. Yeah, a billion dollars for a adult rated R drama is not yeah, nothing. Yeah, it's not nothing at all. Um, but then I feel like you've seen Oppenheimer pretty much own the award season. And I don't think that that's going to change with the Oscars. And so I think that for a lot of people, it's just disappointing to see that she didn't get that nomination. I think so much of it for so many people really centers on the, the fact that, that women have been so left out of the directoral category as it is that it just feels, that snub feels worse because it's the Oscars letting us down again. So. Right. No, I hear that. I think that's valid feeling. I, I, I would have been a lot more upset if there was no acknowledgement. I do I do think that the, the screenplay is not nothing. If I were picking the nominations, I certainly would, like I said, I, there was at least two other people I would drop. But I also know a lot of people who think Zone of Interest is the best thing, mm-hmm. like by a lot. I, I don't feel that way, but it's yeah. a tough choice. I'm of two minds. Um, I felt very similar to you, um, Brandy, when the nominations came out, and I was kind of just feeding into the entire atmosphere of outcry about it and i i i when i say i'm of two minds i am one of the people who is disappointed that she's not here but i also feel like the the kind of narrative though that i that i haven't quite subscribed to is that ryan gosling got something over greta gerwig because they're in separate categories and they have their own people they're competing against if they were in the same category then absolutely we'd be talking about it like you chose a man over this and she's the point of the movie and she's the but it's really what for me is that best actress was a very competitive you know what i mean you know category this year and she's fighting against 
those that that crop of actresses. And unfortunately, she was sixth or seventh in that race, if that makes sense. And whereas Ryan Gosling, maybe supporting actor wasn't quite as competitive as best actress. And so, you know, and he he was obviously a bright spot in the movie. He, to be so, fair, he gets the, I mean, he it, gets the moments. He does get the flashiest moments in the movie, which the Academy has always gone for yeah. flashy performances. Margot's definitely shouldering the emotional core At, of the movie. And, certainly. And that's, the, that's what the role required of her. She's also has some charming moments, but he gets all the funny scenes still in comic, comedic little quips and stuff. And so that maybe outshines some of the more, you know, maybe less competitive again, supporting actor race that we have here. And so he's, probably number two in that race, you know? So I feel like that part of it, I reject the idea though, that yes, that Greta Gerwig made one of the most successful movies of all time. It did have a huge cultural impact. It did leave it obviously. So because even so, like you said, like I think people are responding to how much, like you said, it's likening the narrative of the movie where Ken is getting more attention than the, 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 you know, the, the female in this, I think that that shows you how well the movie resonated with with audiences because they're responding to those themes in the movie. I just don't know if they're if they're you know what I mean neck and neck in that way. I just feel like there's a there's a big difference between the optics and then if you do the breakdown, which is we've talked about the overwhelming diversity, both in terms of yeah like race, but also like international. Tons of international films made the cut this year. So I have a hard time saying that the Academy is somehow more sexist or I get the letting you down thing that, 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 yeah. that I track that. And I, I understand what it feels like to be disappointed. And I think especially with it being Barbie being the breakout film of the year, I get it. But the thing that bothered me after analyzing and talking about the conversation is that it was soaking up the fact that Lily Gladstone is nominated. Right. And, and Celine Song is nominated. And it's a historic thing. Justin Trier is nominated. And then uh, we do have two black actors <laughs> in the, you know, so there were things that for me, but that's what I'm saying, but that in another year, if I was a woman, you know, and, and this would probably be my narrative that, that year, you know what I mean? Like, so I can't say, I can't over, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to downplay those sentiments. Um, I, just, I also think that there's something to be said for the history of it. Too, which is that, yes, there are lots of these little Barbie films out there and things like that. But it's imagine if somebody had taken Transformers and suddenly turned it into a cultural phenomenon that everybody could resonate with. Yeah. And the Oscars said, that's not a best director thing. I mean, I mean, I, I mean it's true. If It's like you get cut by both sides of that sword, right? On one hand, you have to be in best adapted screenplay and you're not acknowledged as an original idea because of all of this background of copyrighted material. But at the same time, you don't get the advantage of, yeah, there was all of this and I threw all that out the window yeah. and created a cultural mm -hmm. phenomenon that could resonate and overcome yeah. all of the, 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 both honored and managed to overcome all of the baggage of the legacy of this cultural creation that is Barbie. And I feel like that's something that's, man, it's a little bit tough to have to swallow to, to say that that, that isn't worthy of a best director nod. Yeah. I, I also, it's the one category I do actually wish would expand in terms of numbers. I don't believe it everywhere. I do think directors should, I think if there's 10 films, there should be 10 directors. That's how I feel. But as far as actors, I understand the competitiveness of it. It makes more sense to be truncated. I, I mean, if I was going to drop one of those, I would drop Annette Benning for yeah. Margot Robbie, but I also really don't want to drop Annette Benning. Like, it, do it's, I, it's hard. It's yeah. tough. And it's, it's not that I think it's Margot Robbie. And again, if 
Because I love I love her in the movie. Oh yeah, I think she's great, and I think she's been great multiple times. She's been nominated twice. Like you know, was it I Tanya and mm-hmm. well, lesser one I don't think as much, but Bombshell, yes. But but she's been nominated twice, and this is definitely this movie lives or dies on her. You know what I mean? Sure. Like so, you can't. There's no Barbie say, without Margaret. Robin. Yeah, it's yeah. called Barbie. It's like I mean, literally, it's called Barbie and Just Ken. But it's just you know that's this, the joke. But it's but like in this scenario, the, the best she's getting the recognition mm-hmm. for the contribution. And best picture, yeah. And not to, that's not to diminish her performance. It's she just saying that the, the hell out of this, getting yeah. this made too. As oh, much yeah. as it was Greta's vision, she was the one who she brought was Greta on board. That yeah. that like going to those rooms and telling people we are going to make this movie and it's going to make you a billion dollars, and it did. You know, so <laughs> <And> <laughs> she's like, like so much that it was so successful later. She's like, well, you know, I believed in it, but it, I never thought it would be this successful. Yeah, I don't think any of us did. I think I, I I I mean, I think we thought it would do well. It did, especially as it the. Is the temperature started cooking throughout the year, but even still, it went beyond. I think a lot of people's expectations, and it's tough. Oscars yeah, are yeah. tough. Speaking of Christopher Nolan, uh, I was there the year, not one hundred percent the same, but I was there the year when he did not get nominated for Best Director of Inception, but did in fact <laughs> get nominated for Original Screenplay, and it disappointing. I yeah. feel the same way about that scenario. I mean, you know, obviously, it doesn't have the optics of Barbie. I think. That's part of what is so easy to hang your hat on here or get mad about or get your claws into it, I guess. Whatever, pick your whatever, you know, like cliche you want to adopt. But I think that the optics of it make it easier for people to get madder about it. Right. I think it's like, oh, forget Greta, forget the person who literally played Barbie in Barbie, but be sure to give a nomination for Ken. Yeah. You know, I feel like Like that has to happen. It's just like, it's much easier for people to get mad about it because of the optics. of it. Right. But I also think too, that man, that year with inception, I'm I'm interested that you brought that up because I remember thinking, well, that sucks. I mean, how could you not? It's, it's an, it's Nolan's vision that makes that movie what it is. And that's how I feel about you know, this one as well is that it's it's her vision that sort of makes this possible. It, it's so tough. That's why I'm saying I understand. I think all of us understand what it's like to have a film you love and want to champion, not get the the credit where it's due. And I think Barbie, especially being one of the movies that saved the theaters this year, it's like, come on. Yeah. That said, because even beyond it, subjectivity here, like you know, like you can't say that that movie didn't do something. Even right. if it wasn't your thing. Huge impact. You could see it did something for the culture, Absolutely. did something for the box office, and it's a good film. Yeah. Absolutely. At the same time, we've all been here before <laughs> for different <laughs> movies, and it's yeah. not about, and obviously the gender, like, yes, the based on what the movie's about, it kind of amplifies the feelings, and, and I think it's valid. It's a valid conversation to have. But also, like, how many times have we been like, well, man, they really messed up by not nominating... Uh, not giving Leo the award for Wolf of Wall Street or not uh, not giving him the nomination Django, for Django Unchained, you know. Let's move on and rank the Best Picture nominations. Just so listeners have an idea of, hey, which films do we personally favor overall? Just a reminder, listeners, the 10 nominees for Best Picture are American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. That said, Laron Chapman, give us the rundown. Hey, I'm, I promise I'm not here to make um, Brandy upset, but my number one movie of the year is Poor Things. Um, my number two movie of the year is uh, Anatomy of a Fall. My third movie of the year is um, Past Lives. Number four is Oppenheimer. Number five is The Holdovers. Number six is Killers of the Flower Moon. Number seven is Barbie. Number eight, oh, am I, I think I'm going out of order here. Am I missing one? Um, Barbie, the zone of interest, and then ending on Maestro. 
Oh, I know what I did. I didn't put American Fiction in there. I would put American Fiction just after Barbie. So that would be my... So that put that, what number? Right. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It'd be my number eight. Number eight film. All right. Brandy? Two things for the record. One, I have not watched Poor Things, as I've already noted. Um, <laughs> two, um, I don't usually do a top ten list, so I'm going to kind of do this a little bit off the top of my head. But And again, it's not your top ten films of the year. It's uh, how you would rank how them. You would how rank you, them how you would rank what's yeah. here. Right. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, number one for me. Um, number two is Barbie. Number three, Past Lives. Um, number four is Oppenheimer. Um, number five would probably be The Holdovers. Um, number six is probably American Fiction. Seven would be Anatomy of the Fall. Eight would be Zone of Interest. Last would be Maestro. I think that's a great list. Mine is number one, Killers of the Flower Moon. Number two, Oppenheimer. Number three, Past Lives. Number four, Anatomy of a Fall. Number five, Barbie. Number six, The Holdovers. Number seven, Poor Things. Number eight, The Zone of Interest. Number nine, American Fiction. And number 10, Maestro. I think we had actually a lot of overlap on that list, really, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think all of us had uh, Everyone past has Maestro lives, at, the bottom. at the bottom. <laughs> and everyone has Past Lives, I think, is number, number three. Number three. I so. love it. Oh, man. Past Lives. Breaking down barriers. Uh, you and I have holdovers on five, so yeah. that's interesting. Well, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's move on to our predictions for this year's show. So uh, if you haven't tuned in in past years, just, uh, the way we do things is we are going to name the nominees in each category starting with the screenplays. And we're going to make a personal selection of what should win and then make a note about who actually will win. So the difference is what do we want to win in this category versus what is the Academy actually going to vote for? So if if you're playing a game at your Oscar watch party, the one you want to pencil on your ballot if you want to win, you know, the the golden ticket is the, the will wins that we're talking about here. And as I've already noted, we're not covering the short animated films or short uh, documentaries or short film categories. That said, let's move on to our first category, which is Best Adapted Screenplay. And the nominees for Best Adapted Screenplay are American Fiction, written for the screen by Cord Jefferson, Barbie, written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, Oppenheimer, written for the screen by Christopher Nolan, Poor Things by Tony McNamara, and The Zone of Interest, written by Jonathan Glazer. Laron Chapman, my co-host, kick us off. Who will win? Who should win? I feel like it's weird having, again, it's, it's weird having Greta Gerwig in this category because it feels like that screenplay should definitely be an original screenplay. Um... So I really think a lot of the love is going to go to her in this particular category. Um, if if I were picking like my personal favorite of this, um, I would put um, American Fiction as the should win in this, um, and have the will win likely being Oppenheimer. Um, but I think that Greta Gerwig's you know um, introduction to this category shakes things up. And I could see I could see an upset with her here um, as, again, somewhat of a consolation prize for not being nominated in other categories that people. This is so weird because it, it kind of throws both of these ca- screenplay categories out of whack and it makes it harder to pick one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so Laurent's leaning towards a will win is going to be say it again, Laurent. A will win um, will Will win will probably be Greta Gerwig because okay. of how everything is being shaken up. Um, um, but my personal choice for the winner in this would have been 
would have probably been um, American Fiction. Had Barbie not been nominated. Had Barbie not been nominated, it would have been American Fiction with Oppenheimer taking it. But I think because Greta Gerwig's here, she will likely take it. All right. Bold choice, Laurent Chapman. Brandy McDonald? I also think it's the correct choice, though, because I, I really, same. I mean, as we've talked about, I feel like it being an adapted screenplay does sort of throw everything out of whack. It is not what we've seen from the other award shows um, that this has happened in, but I do feel like that with this set of nominees under these circumstances, I think you have to say that Barbie will win and the Barbie should win. Um, I definitely think that it should win out of this uh, group, again, particular group of nom- nominations. But I also think it will win in this particular case. But uh, again, it's weird looking at these, as you noted, two categories and thinking, why are all of these here in this way? Yeah. Barbie, uh, adapted by from the toy line, um, competing against Oppenheimer, which is adopted from a novel, just feels like it's, it's adapted weird. from the minds of children. So, <laughs> guys, adapted from the minds of Greta Gerwig's childhood, childhood, yeah, m- imagination. So, uh, yeah. I, so I'm gonna go. I'm I'm gonna lean. Uh, will win, should win with Barbie. I I do think this will be sort of the air quotes consolation prize. I think it's a worthy one. I think it, this movie does deserve this award. I think the screenplay is fantastic. I do have maybe that 10% that says Oppenheimer could get it just as a part of the Oppenheimer sweep that we're anticipating. But I don't know. I just I think they're going to want to give Barbie something to take home. That's not just a technical award, uh, yeah. you know. So I'm going to go will win, should win Barbie, but wouldn't be surprised if Oppenheimer won. Let's move on to best original screenplay. And the nominees are Anatomy of a Fall, uh, the screenplay is by Justin Thierry and Arthur Harai. The Holdover is written by David Hemmingson. Maestro, written by Bradley Cooper and Josh Singer. May, December, screenplay by Sammy Birch and story by Sammy Birch and Alex Mechanic. I said that closer to the right this time. And Past Lives, written by Celine Song. Brandy McDonald, who wins the other screenplay category? Again, it's so weird. It's just weird looking at, because it's, wrong it's like there's too much on the plate on one category and then there's like just the vegetables on the other one exactly <laughs> i mean it's just a little bit it's it's just odd and you can see the things that are missing because of how i would argue barbie has been miscategorized um and it makes this category i feel like a much weaker category i don't know it's weird but um i think that there are some worthy choices here i would love to see past lives win this oscar and i'm going to say that um given the way the category is i think it should win i think that what you're going to see is i believe under these circumstances you'll probably see anatomy of a fall actually end up winning um i feel like there's going to be um again this is gets a little bit into a psych- psychology of oscar voters maybe of this is a film that did not get a chance to contend for international uh, best international film because of the peculiarities of the Oscars. And so I think that you're going to see it as a film that was um, widely appreciated by a lot of people. And this will be that consolation prize of giving it an original screenplay as opposed to, because I don't think you're going to see Justine Triate win Best director. No way. And obviously, you're not going to see it win international film because it's not eligible because of the weird way that they do things at the Oscars. So I think this will be the will win 
not going to be mad about it because it is an excellent screenplay. Um, I would prefer to see Past Lives um, win. But again, I think that that's my should. I think Anatomy of Fall will, and I'm not going to be mad about it. But I also think the other thing is it has the narrative potential. It's not going to win those other awards, Anatomy of Fall. However, Justin Trier didn't even have the backing of France you know, mm-hmm. to, to get into the Academy Awards and she did it anyway. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. like, we want to reward that sort of the, the quality craft and the campaigning efforts that you put in to overcome a lot of hurdles that others didn't have to contend with. So I think that gives her some edge there in terms of likelihood of winning. Uh, Laron? Yeah, I think that narrative could be, could be applies to two movies, Anatomy of the Fall um, and Past Lives, because, you know, Past Lives is only nominated for two. Academy Awards and one of them's picture. And so I feel like, you know, personally, my choice is past lives in this category as well. Um, but I think that the more award sweeper here or the more love is going to go towards Anatomy of Fall. It already did in terms of nomination. So clearly they favor one of these movies over the other. And so I think, and there's also a, a huge British contingent, you know what I mean? Like that's going to come, you know what I mean? So that. I just feel like that it, things are, are moving more in favor of Anatomy of Fall, which is totally fine because it is an excellent screenplay, a very layered screenplay. Um, and in dealing with complex, again, perspectives, like two different, two, you know, um, like dealing, like really interrogating the truth and the nuances of human behavior and what we should believe by what we're seeing and by what evidence we're given. And it, it really complicates that, that, you know, that gray zone. And so... Um, in terms of a, a, a writing feat, it's it's really impressive as well. So I, I, I see that being the the winner here, even though my personal choice would be past lives, and since also, it won't win anywhere else. I also think that it's a good time to maybe um, compliment the Oscars, which sometimes we don't always do, on you know the fact that we're talking about two movies that were written and directed by women in this category. And, um, and I would like to point out, I don't think that we did that in the best picture you actually have for the first time three movies that were directed by women are mm-hmm. nominated for best picture in the same year that's, that's never true. happened before of course it hasn't always been 10 pictures in best picture anyway but i think that that's something that you're looking at here where you're seeing an opportunity for women to um make movies but also make excellent movies and to be recognized um, potentially for those movies because i think that for both Laurent and i and probably you as well caleb that these this is the, a battle between two screenplays that were written by women. You have Barbie that was also co-written by women. Right. So you're seeing some really great storytelling by women get a chance to win Oscars. I think it's also worth noting, the I believe that Celine Song is the first uh, writer, to uh, Korean-American writer to be nominated for uh, Best Original Screenplay, which, again... Not saying the nominations this year were perfect, but let's pat them on the pack when they do something right, uh, which is they are really are um, bringing more voices to the table, worthy voices at that. I'm going to break a little bit. I love Past Lives. It was in my top five. So was Anatomy of a Fall. And for that film in particular, Past Lives, there's so much emotionality. It's a great script. A lot of it's on the performances. There's a lot unsaid that I feel like is what, for me personally, is what resonates the most. That said... Anatomy of Fall, I feel like you're, Lauren, you kind of laid it out. It's dealing with really big, complex ideas, the complexity of the truth, the complexity of relationships and how they evolve and sometimes deteriorate, um, the justice system. There's a lot of things, a lot of layers to it 
that I think makes it a little more complex. And for me in this case, um, I'm going to go for a will win and should win anatomy of the fall. However, love Celine song, love past lives. Can't wait to see what she does next. All right, let's move on to our next category. Best cinematography. And the nominees are El Conde from Edward Lockman, Killers of the Flower Moon from Rodrigo Prito, Maestro from Matthew Libatique, Oppenheimer from Hoyt van Hoytra, and Poor Things from Robbie Ryan. LeBron Chapman, what is your pick here? I, I, I just feel like this is definitely an Oppenheimer, part of the Oppenheimer suite. I have it as my should and will win in this category. Um, but I do think it's strange, you know, to have uh, Rodrigo Pierto here in this category, not nominated for Barbie, but also having made, you know, Barbie and to, to have made two exceptionally well-made movies this year and him not be in the winning conversation is a little strange, but it just feels like it's definitely going to be um, an Oppenheimer uh, victor here. So it takes a true wizard to make uh, Kelly Murphy's face look so gaunting and full I IMAX, mean... uh, three story tall screen. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty impressive, right? Yeah. Randy, how about you? Well, I would I would truly love to see Killers of the Flower Moon win. And I would love to see, uh, as as you noted, Laurent Rodrigo win, because, I mean, can you imagine if this if you made two films as a cinematographer as good as killers of the flower moon and barbie they were released in the same year and you didn't win like that it's like what do you have to do to win one I yeah mean, right i mean yeah apparently not Me. compete against oppenheimer that's <laughs> what it sounds like but i think that all of us here have seen um and this again maybe bias showing but i think all of us have seen oklahoma depicted um, in uh, not great ways over yeah. the years. Um, I think all of us sort of have an expertise in what that should look like. And Looking think... at you, Logan, <laughs> downtown OKC Casino. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, it does an excellent job of um, creating all of those um, visuals that you want to see with this film from um, really intimate bedroom scenes, really intimate courtroom scenes, in period too. Um, that's in period, yes, yeah. and to these really sweeping scenes of you know the fields and oil fields and cattle fields and all you know all of these types of things. I think that he he's doing a lot of things exceptionally well with Killers of the Flower Moon and really depicting, um, just really capturing not just the beauty of the state and the light and things like that, but also just really. A, just excelling in all of these different types of spaces that you're storytelling in. I, I think that it's just an exceptional job. But at the same time, I think you can say that there's a lot of uh, innovative storytelling going on in Oppenheimer, and in one of those categories is cinematography. So my pick would definitely be should. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon, Rodrigo for Barbie and Killers of the Flower Moon, because um, I think it's a shame that he's not nominated here for Barbie. But um, I think that what you will see is I think you'll see Oppenheimer win in this category. You know, maybe one of these days they'll do a best body of work category like we have in the OFCC, you know, where it's like, hey, you did a bunch of cool stuff. And we at least if you can't win in one of them, 
you know, you should win for doing a lot of cool stuff in one year. He was my top pick in best body of work this year. Yes, for mine OSCC too. Yeah. Because yeah. he, I mean, how many people can say that they did such exceptional work on two such exceptional films in one year? Mm-hmm. And one being the highest grossing film of the year and the other being one of the highest reviewed films of the year. I mean, come on. What a career. I actually thought at one I seriously thought at one point he was going to pull a Roger Deakins where he was nominated for both movies and then lose because he was competing against himself. But what was it like Issa Rae and um, is in two best picture films, American Fiction and Barbie. Yes. Small abbreviated roles in both of those underutilized in both, I think, too. But she's great. And then also Sandra Huller, Anatomy of the Fall, Zone of Interest. It's like. That's pretty cool. You know, yeah. it's pretty cool, you know, to be be there for two movies. And it's like, where do I sit? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, which which team do I sit with at the dinners? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to be in the winner's circle. Which movie is doing? I'm going to I'm going to side with uh Bam on this. I biases that we live in Oklahoma, but just the way that Preto was able to capture the rolling hills, the big mm. sweeping rolling hills, the historic Towns that I'm thinking of, like that race car scene at the beginning of the movie, or even uh, the scene where they're burning the land, and you get the close up of the flames, and just as Leo is sweating it out while he's just tried the drug. Like, there's just so many visual shots that are kinetic, and there's so many, such a variety of the types of shots that he's doing, and in, and it's capturing Oklahoma in a way we have not seen before, at least not at this caliber. So for me, that's a that's a big win. I also think that you know Hoyt's going to be back with the next Chris Nolan movie, almost yeah. almost certainly, no matter what it is, um, or Jordan Peele, <laughs> or yeah, exactly, because <laughs> he does those. He now. does those too, man. Man of many talents. That said, gotta give hats off to the guy who carried around that giant IMAX camera with film in it, mind you, to shoot all these close ups. So I think Oppenheimer will win, should win. Killers of the Flower Moon for me. But let's move on to our next category, shall we? It's and pretty it sounds pretty important, you could say. You know, best sound. <laughs> I see what you did there. Wow. Or heard what you did there. Throw the tomatoes. I deserve all of them. Uh the nominees are, and I'm gonna start reducing the number of names I read just because uh, there's a lot of names in, in some of these <laughs> categories. The first nominee is the creator, Maestro, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part One question mark. It's not part one anymore, but I guess they submitted it as part one. Oppenheimer or The Zone of Interest. Brandon McDonald, what is your pick for this film? This is an interesting category. I don't often have a lot of strong opinions about sound in films. I mean, I I, I sometimes do, but um, it's rare that I have uh, one that's this sound uh, this strong. I, I would I would have actually liked to have seen Killers of the Flower Moon here as well. Um, just because I feel like, again, they captured a lot of that Oklahoma sound. Um, it was interesting to sit there at the end of that film and hear the Oklahoma wind and the storms. And there's that yeah. pivotal scene that we had that one picture from for all that time. Yeah. When you see that scene play out, it's all about them listening to a storm. Yeah. They did an exceptional job of capturing some of that. Um, sadly, they're not they're not among the nominees here. But I think that um, should win, will win for me is Zone of Interest. Um, I really feel like it's rare that sound is so essential to the storytelling because that whole film and what makes it different from so many Holocaust films that we've seen is that it's a contrast between what you see and what you hear. Yeah, It is the sound of gunshots and crematoriums burning and people crying and screaming and set up against these images of this family living this very pastoral, beautiful upper middle class lifestyle 
right on the other side of the wall of this concentration camp. And I feel like it really is essential. That's that's what they're using as the storytelling mechanism. You see very little of the actual crimes, Holocaust, Holocaust horror that you're used to seeing. You, it's what you hear and the ability of people to ignore that while they go about living their pretty best lives. That's really what the whole storytelling is about in the case of that film. So I really feel like you almost have to give it because it's using sound so much as a storytelling mechanism to tell a really powerful story about how you can sort of become separated from your humanity and your sense of empathy because it's their ability to tune out all those noises and what they mean that allows them to go about living those pretty little lives. I, especially the baby for me, that was just, you can't tell whether mm -hmm. it's a baby or a person screaming in the concentration camp or if it's the Nazi family's baby that's crying half the time. And it just creeped me out every time. And I just really feel like that's a should win and a will win for me in that category. I think that's well said. That is certainly, I mean, the, that movie has a lot going for it, but that the sound is the the part that you're going to be laying in bed thinking about at night, you know, the, the the sound of the trains coming in, the gunshots you mentioned. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a very upsetting story, and it makes you pause and think about our own role and, and potentially enabling other such hor horrible things to happen. What things are we turning a blind eye to, you know? Um, uh, Laurent, what, what do you think? No, similarly to you, because it is a different film. It's a different kind of film. It's, it's approaching the form a lot different. Um, and I feel like what's interesting about that that movie, where also I agree with you, I'm not someone who typically emphasizes the sound or the editing of a movie particularly well, because those are things I don't do or have a, a great ear for. You know, But in this particular film, it's utilizing that element so prominently, and you can see how it's affecting the tone and the mood of the movie. I'd, I'd similarly say like a movie like um, After Sun, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, using editing in a way to tell a story a very specific way where I was like, I never look at editing, but the way this movie is edited is is conveying everything, to, all the information to the audience. And so sound being so integral to the success of this movie and what it's trying to accomplish just feels, you know, um, like this definitely should be winning the award. Um, that said, there still feels like there's an opportunity for another Oppenheimer sweep here. Um, so I think should win um, the zone of interest, and I hope the Academy agrees with me. But I do think that Oppenheimer uh, could still steal this, and I'm so I'm putting that in my tentative will win right now. For Oppenheimer? For Oppenheimer, yeah. yeah. So I tend to agree with you uh, because uh, I think one thing we should acknowledge that sometimes, especially when we talk about things and we boil things down to like the Academy as if it's some monolithic entity. No, no, it's made up of lots of voters, yeah. voters who uh, don't see all the movies. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, while the zone of interest, I do think has had a lot of buzz and has probably been watched by a lot of members. It certainly hasn't been watched by as nearly as many as Oppenheimer has. So with that in mind, Sound could get swept into the Oppenheimer sweep that I think we're going to see. Yeah. And the sound is great. The sound is great. It's and Oppenheimer. Also yeah, important yeah. in that film as well. But but it's not as important and not integral as, as the Zone of Interest, which I think absolutely should win, yeah. undeniably. If I was if that movie gets any award. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. With that said, let's move on to our next category, Best Original Song. And I'm so pumped to read this list of nominees because one of them is from the movie that I know everyone saw and believed in. That's right, 
from Flamin' Hot, <laughs> The Fire Inside, music and lyric by Diane Warren. Did you guys know Diane Warren partners with Cheetos now? I think, I uh, yeah, I don't, I didn't know that, but <laughs> I will say that, um, what is this, her 14th or 15th nomination without a win? I think that until she wins a competitive Oscar because they did give her yeah, until, a yeah. honorary yeah, one. Until but. she wins the Oscar in this category, I think you can just expect there to be a placeholder. There will always be a filmmaker who's willing to have a Diane Warren song in their film because clearly there's been plenty of movies that this has been their only nomination, including now Flaming Hot, <laughs> that is the to try nominee. and get the Diane Warren Oscar. And I think that if you look back on some of those 14 or 15 nominations, there are definitely some that she deserved to oh, win. certainly. She just, I'm just not thinking, Guys. I'm just not saying it's the fire inside. <laughs> All of us strangers doesn't have an Oscar nomination, but... You know, flaming hot. Flame hot. Yep, that is the world we live in, Laron. Okay. 2024 Oscars. Moving on to the other nominee, uh, the other <laughs> nominees. I'm just Ken from Barbie. Music and lyric by Mark Ronson and Andrew Wyatt. It never went away from American Symphony. Music and lyric by John Batiste and Dan Wilson. Wazazi. Thank you. Uh, a song for my people from Killers of the Flower Moon. Music and lyric by Scott George and. What Was I Made For from Barbie, music and lyric by Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell. What a category. LeBron Chapman, start us off. Who's going to win? I have to start by saying that the fact that Wazazi is here is very important and, and significant. And my husband made, you know, um, a, a wager with me that that, you know, that wouldn't happen. And... um well, I made a wager with him that that wouldn't happen, and it did happen. And so I was so happy, more than all the snubs and everything that happened on um, Oscar nominations morning, to tell him that you were right about Wazazi getting in there and how exciting it is. Um, and with it being, you know, um, an Osage Nation, you know, per person who made that song, it's just, it would be so exciting, you know, to see something like that, so a win for that particular one. That said, it's definitely going to a Barbie, you know, a Barbie song. Um, the wrong one. One could argue. One could argue, not me. Dua Lipa would argue it. Dua Lipa would say Dua Lipa. so. Dua Lipa. I saw. I saw your your ranking of the three Barbie songs, Caleb, on on, on Facebook. It's right. fine. It's fine. Um, I I really think that even though Billie Eilish, who I'm a huge a huge fan of, I think she's a prodigy of, of a of a musician to be her age and as talented as she is. Um, Already has an Oscar, you know, doesn't necessarily need another one. But if we're going to give it to a Barbie song, I personally am going the route of this one. What was I made for? Because I really do think it encapsulates the the theme of the entire movie lyrically and tonally. And it's kind of, you know, the emotional beat of it, it comes at a really particular pivotal moment for that character in the story. And I think if you listen to it, you could you could hear and and know kind of you know thematically and emotionally what this movie was about. Whereas I feel like um, its competitor, I'm just Ken, is an excellent, fun kind of a one-off song for that particular character. Top it of the charts, Laron is only its own thing. Is its own thing. That's fair. That's fair. It is. Um, but um, so my personal choice would be what was I made for, and I think it also will win um, because of the pedigree of that musician and, and 
you know. And the song did great. It did win a Grammy not too, just a couple just a couple weeks ago. So you know, keep the momentum going. <laughs> uh, you know, I can't. You made a great case, Laurent, but Brandy, get, bring some reason to this conversation. <laughs> I don't know that there's reason that I'm bringing to it necessarily. <laughs> I'm mostly just bringing a sense of giddy excitement to the fact that you have Scott George, an Osage Nation citizen who lives in Dell City, who works a day job as the director of housing for the citizen Potawatomi Nation, wow. um, even though he's Osage, um, is nominated for an Oscar. There's just something about that that makes me so happy, like in my heart. He's... You know, he's the first indigenous person that's ever been nominated in this category. He's the first Osage person who's ever nominated for an Oscar. So, I mean, if you take all of that um, partnership and that allyship that was done with Killers of the Flower Moon to tell this story by involving and incorporating as many Osage people as possible, one of them got an Oscar nomination, guys. It's incredible. So that's pretty great. Uh, and, And just the notion... Since I don't think the Academy is going to turn down the chance to have Ryan Gosling sing on Just Can <laughs> right. or Billie Eilish perform. Yep. And I don't think that they're going to have um, be silly enough. I hope they're not going to be silly enough to let those people perform and leave the others out. Yeah, The idea that we will have this song performed by largely Osage people from Oklahoma singing and playing drum on the Oscars... I get chills just yeah. thinking about that whenever you think just a few years and back. That's what representation does. You yeah. Know, real. Bringing I mean, them into the fold. Exactly. You put them on a platform, yeah. Well, and I mean, just think a few years ago, I mean, tons of Native people were just giddy because West Studi, Oklahoma's own West Studi, spoke yeah. in Cherokee during a presentation of an Oscar yeah. or an Oscar montage. So, I mean, just a few words spoken just five or six years ago yeah. versus an entire song. Written by a person who learned it, you know, learned his native language, his people's language through playing songs at powwows from the time he was a child. That to me is fantastic. This uh, Diane Warren, notwithstanding, I don't want to pick on Diane Warren too much because I do think that there are some songs that she's done that should have won Oscars. But I mean, just think that this whole category is pretty great. I mean, as far as that goes, I mean, I think John Baptiste, I mean, that man never puts on a bad show from what I can oh, tell. No, no. And I mean, and he did not get, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, that he did not get a nomination in the documentary category for, Sadly. for um his for American Symphony. But this was a great song. Yeah. And he'll put on a beautiful performance and it's great representation again. Mm-hmm. Um I think that um Billie Eilish's song, I think that that is what is going to win. I'm not going to say that it shouldn't. I feel like it's one of those things that it should win. It comes at a very pivotal part of that film. I think should win should be, you know, Scott George and, you know, the song for his people, the Osage Nation. That's the one I would love to see win. I don't think it will, but I think it's going to be a beautiful moment for it to be there. And who doesn't love I'm Just Ken? Who doesn't love Ryan Gosling? Do his Ryan Gosling thing is going to be fantastic. I think that who will win, though, is is Billie Eilish, and I'm not mad about it. I think that's a beautiful performance and a great song. Well, I seem to have lost the argument. Um, uh, I, I do. I am really excited that we'll get to see some indigenous representation at the stage. I don't want to assume because they haven't announced it yet, but it would be shocking, like seriously shocking if we don't get the Osage performance at the Academy. I, listen, guys, I actually had... <clears throat> 
two different songs from the Barbie soundtrack play at my wedding reception, and uh, neither of them was what was I made for. So, you know. <laughs> I was at your wedding reception, and it would not have fit the narrative. So it's to very be fair. fair. It's a different. Imagine, it's it's like him just, <laughs> just by himself. So why did I get here? Why is this We're going to stop the evening and say, what was I made for? Yeah, You were made to be married to that woman. Oh, so Thank you. I agree. Thank you. It's um, not a party song. I'll give you that. So therefore, my, my bias is I'm just Ken, which is a super fun. Gosling goes for it. It's innovative. It's not the type of thing that you would see win this type of award. I think it's super fun. That said, Billie Eilish has been cleaning up every award show in the book. So it's definitely going to what was I made for is definitely the winner. I would be surprised. I'll bet a pizza on it. Anyone want to bet a pizza on it? Yeah, I'll do a pizza on it. Well, we're, we're, we're oh, but on, for it though, right? Yeah, yeah, we're on the same side. That's oh, the then no. I think we're all going to end up splitting that pizza. That's fine. <laughs> <And laughs> still just buy it as a pizza, Caleb. That's fine. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to our next category: best original score, where the nominees are American Fiction by Laura Cartman, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny by John Williams, Killers of the Flower Moon by Robbie Robertson, Oppenheimer by Ludwig Göransson, and Poor Things by Jerskin. Fendrix. Bam, what is your pick here? I um, just, this is an interesting category. I find myself being fascinated by this category because I loved American fiction. I thought that film was hilarious and I adored it. But, um, but I don't, I don't remember the score at all. It's not like it's not, it's not the thing that ever to me stands out about that film. And I've since gone back and listened to it. Like maybe I missed something. I heard it and I'm like, it's very generic. So I don't I don't understand that at all. And I don't want to I don't necessarily think that the Indiana Jones is just the greatest hits. I think he wrote some, you know, very nice, you know, sort of new pieces to go with the new characters that are in that film. But you know, essentially it's John Williams doing the John Williams thing. thing. You know, yeah. that, that he does so better than anyone else. I mean, he's been nominated more than anybody else. I mean, he does it better than anyone else. I'm uh, I'm fascinated by the fact that this is the first time an indigenous person has been nominated for Best Score with Robbie Robertson. I was really surprised. First of all, I was surprised he'd never been nominated before. How right. has the man yeah, done 12? Just... How's the man did yeah. 12 movies with Scorsese and never been nominated for Best Score? Yeah. Right. I mean, that sort of blows my mind. And uh, and then I think that uh, Logan Gordonson always does good work. I mean, he always does great work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it will really come down to those two. I think that the voting would be will be very interesting. I personally am gonna. I favor Killers of the Far Moon, and that's totally biased on my part because um, I feel like they're both excellent scores. I do think that the voting is going to be very interesting with Robbie Robertson having passed away. Mm-hmm. It being a posthumous I, award. I mean, too. it being a posthumous award, particularly for somebody who I think a lot of people are going to say he was never nominated before. And you can think of the ones that he should have been nominated mm-hmm. for. And now he'll never be nominated again. I think that there's a pretty good chance that this could be captured yeah. by killers of the flower moon. But I, I still think it's more likely to go as part of an Oppenheimer sweep. LeBron. Uh, she's she's taking all the words from us, so yes. it's absolutely how I feel. I, I I feel the only way it would tip in his favor again with it, I'm, and I wouldn't call it a sympathy vote, though no more than I would call Heath Ledger's like or um, or uh, 
Chadwick Boseman, you know, who was expected to win that year. Like these people, you know, they they're in the categories because they deserve to be in the categories. But I think that it could weigh in someone's decision making, you know, that I have an opportunity to do this. You know, this person doesn't need it. This person will never get it. You know what I mean? So I could see that 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 wrestling in, in voters minds. Um, and I kind of in a weird way hope it does. You know, I hope it does. Um, I personally think that Oppenheimer will win in this category because it is a great score and, you know, and it is very prominent in the movie. Um, but it would be nice to see. So um, I'd say should win. You know, um, should win, should be killers and will win um, Oppenheimer. Yeah. Uh, again, not to repeat myself too much, but there were other films that I would have vote picked for number one here. Uh, had they been nominated, I, I really thought Daniel Pipperton's score from Across the Spider-Verse is pretty spectacular. Uh, no it's a really great score. Yes. And the, the lack of nomination here is pretty upsetting. Um, but with the omission of two of my favorite scores from the year being here, <laughs> I tend to lean towards should win killers. Robbie Robertson, last chance. This is, you know, yeah. he passed away. Uh, I think, so even if I perhaps prefer Oppenheimer's score yeah. personally, I think you got to honor the guy who has put in great work for decades. That said, Oppenheimer sweep. I think Oppenheimer's got this in the bag. I'd be very surprised if anything but Oppenheimer won here. All right, let's move on to our next category, best film editing. And the nominees are Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer or Poor Things? Laron Chapman, what is your pick here? I feel like this is neck and neck. I think Killers and Oppenheimer are neck and neck here. And, um, and I think that seems to be the case in a lot of the tech categories here. Um, I think to take two weighty movies, you know, that are exceeding three hours long, you know, and make those movies flow and never get, never get stodgy or boring you know, is an incredible feat because I dread it seeing both of these movies to a certain extent, you know, just for that. Like, okay, I'm going to have to sit through a three and a half hour movie. We had this conversation, all three of us did actually have this conversation about Killers and it, it it just, it coast by, you know, you're really invested. And I think that's a testament to how these scenes are shot and pieced together and how they choose to put these, construct these. And so really either of them deserve this. So, but I think, I think Oppenheimer's going to win here. Um, I'd be happy to see, I'm going to, I think I'm going to keep putting killers in my should, because I really think if, if Lily Gladstone isn't a victor of the, of the evening, that it might not walk away with much, if anything. I, I think, we, so, I think if Lily doesn't get it, I think this is going to be an Irishman year yeah, where I he goes home. Shut up from everything. Tons of nominations, no so wins. Throw some, throw some bones here in the text. If it's neck and neck, then flip a coin, you know, like so. But I say should killers and will Oppenheimer. All right, Brandy. Well, I, I, I feel the same way. I feel like the should is killers of the far moon, and that is deeply personal for me, maybe in the way that other categories aren't because I've had to write about the reign of terror so many times before. And I'm surprised you can tell it in three and a half hours of a movie because it really is a very um, sweeping story. I mean, there's a lot of things that they could have gotten bogged down in and sort of like telling about some of the injustices that were involved and things like that. So I thought they did an, a really good job of just telling the story in a way that was very impactful that did 
highlight the injustice of it and did sort of make clear, you know, that what was going on was going on because Osage people were viewed as not worthy of the wealth that they had because they were just stupid Indians. And so I really feel like that um, they did just an exceptional job telling the story. I think Oppenheimer will win because it's a flashier, it's yeah, a flashier yeah. editing job. I mean, it just is. And so I really feel like you're going to see that that film win in that category because the editing is just a flashier thing. Uses the montages, unlike any Christopher Nolan. One of his great magic tricks is the the montage, uh, and I, you do get some of that in Killers, but not like you get it in Oppenheimer. Um, I think especially during the the courtroom sequence in Killers of the Flower Moon, in particular, just crazy impressive editing. You're cut. You're cutting back to the things that we saw in the first three hours and making it make sense without really pulling you out of the story. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like a like the sentiment. I would love to see Thelma Shoemaker uh, make a win here for Killers of the Flower Moon, but I just I don't think anything's going to beat Oppenheimer in editing, unfortunately, just because simply because it's very flashy and it's sure. it's, it's just easier to go. I'm telling you, the Academy, just like they're humans, just like the rest of us. What's flashier? Well, that's super cool. So we're going to give our vote that way. Let's move on to best costume design. The nominees are Barbie. Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, Oppenheimer, or Poor Things. Now, this is where we're going to get in the interesting conversation, I think, of Barbie versus Killers versus Poor Things in a few of these categories. Uh, so I'll start with you, Brandy. What is going to win Best Costume Design? Oh, man. I think this is actually a tougher category than it could be in past years in some ways. I think that there will be a lot of support for Jacqueline West and how closely she worked with the Osage Nation to create costumes that were um, accurate for the time period. I know talking to a lot of Osage people at the beginning of the making of this film is the concern that there's going to be a lot of regalia in it that doesn't fit that time period and things like that. The, just the concern that they're going to be made to quote-unquote look Indian whenever that wouldn't have been what they were wearing at the time period kind of so to speak and so I think that I can see a lot of support and I think she did an exceptional job of making sure that everything was both in period but it also incorporated um, aspects of the Osage culture in it in a way that were um, that was very respectful but also very accurate to the period and so I think that she did an exceptional job I would like to see it given to her but I really feel like this is one of those things where you might see Barbie win because there's so much that is done with those costumes throughout and you have to I mean that was one of those things that if the costumes don't work in Barbie then Barbie doesn't work right and so I really feel like maybe should win maybe that's a little maybe that's a little strong I I would like to see Killers of the Fire Moon win here but I also think that Barbie will and I'm not necessarily mad about it but then I also haven't seen poor things I think that's well said. I mean, weird Barbie, come on. All the different Ken outfits. Uh, I mean, you name it. Costumes, like iconic costumes, just like left and right. LaRon Chapman. Well, speaking of weird Barbie, um, Bella Baxter, Emma Stone, I feel like this is this category. We're getting into the poor things versus Barbie in the, the next couple of categories here. I feel like, um, like you said, it doesn't work. Barbie doesn't work without the costumes that it has. I just personally feel like when when pitting the two movies together and seeing it, 
I feel like the poor things world that's created in the, the 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 gowns that she's wearing and the you know all of them you know this it's a period piece but not exactly you know what i mean not just straightforward there's some infant there's some invention here it's definitely kind of futuristic it's not of a certain time it's old-fashioned but also has some futuristic aspects to it i feel like um and it's also more ornate to me than barbie bar and that that's just by design because barbie has a very particular aesthetic you know um, and that universe has a very particular aesthetic, and I think they did nail that. Um, but personally, I favor poor things in the should category here, and then I think that I do think that Barbie will win, and I wouldn't be mad about it because it was very well done. All right, this is a tough one. I am leaning towards Killers of the Flower Moon should win, but also I could go for Barbie. But also, I think Poor Things is going to win. I okay. think that Barbie's the flashiest of the bunch. I think the the job they had with Killers of the Flower Moon I think was the most complex in terms yes. of being historically accurate, the amount of work they had to put into it. Um, but I also think Poor Things is the Academy catnip, especially in these production production design um, costuming. Yeah, I, it just it's got that Britishness to it that they tend to like. So I think should win. I'm gonna go Killers of the Flower Moon. Could win, and I wouldn't be mad about it, Barbie. What I'm confident will win, moderately confident will win, is Poor Things, though. But, uh, hey, it's a race. I do think it's a race in this category. Yeah. Which is which Like is you said, and typically in this category, there's normally a surefire right. thing, you know, so. Well, that will take us to our next category, which is Best International Feature Film. Oh, goodness. Caleb's going to mispronounce the first one. Uh, El Capitano. El Capitano. There we go. Thank you, Leron. From Italy. Perfect Days from Japan, Society of the Snow from Spain, The Teacher's Lounge from Germany, and The Zone of Interest from the United Kingdom. Laurent Chapman. Man, Anatomy of a Fall should be here. For real. Uh, but, you know, it's not. And um, The Zone of Interest is a perfectly adequate movie to, you know, to take this award. Um but my, if I'm looking at what is here and select it, my, I'm more emotionally connected to the Society of the Snow. Um, we talked about that on a previous podcast, and it's just a much better version of a of a already good, good and established film, um, told properly and with the right people involved. Mm -hmm. Ethan Hawke not playing a Chilean actor. <laughs> I mean, that's very strange, um, but. I just thought that was such a sweeping and gripping and, um, you know, very viscerally exciting, you know, um, international film um, that I don't think many people, unfortunately, have not seen. You know, it came out pretty late and The Zone of Interest has had it. I mean, it's it's also nominated in Best Picture. It, it just shows you that there's a lot of love for this particular film. And I think that it will take the award. Um, but I think should win in this category is Society of Snow. All right. Brandy? Uh, I think uh, I think Zone of Interest pretty much has this locked up. I don't. I think that absent of Anatomy of a Fall, none of the rest of these are going to grab people enough to take it away from the Zone of Interest. I just don't think they, that they are. Which, by the way, I I I really it's, I can't say enjoyed um, the Zone of Interest. I but I did um, I did appreciate that film. I did like that film because it wasn't what I expected it to be. Mm -hmm. 
I think that it is, I think it goes beyond being a Holocaust film. And uh, I think that it does, um, I think it's a great film for our times that we live in of yeah. failing to recognize the humanity of other people is pretty easy to do yeah. in this day and age. And so I, I really feel like it um, it captures that zeitgeist well. And I think that it's a particularly well-made film. And uh, so I I do think that it um, it deserves a minute it will win. And it convicts us, which I really love about it. It kind of, you know, it's one of those movies where, yeah, it's about the Holocaust, but it also isn't. You know what I mean? It also is kind of, it's more broad in terms of... It's about of, the human condition. Yeah, exactly. And in, in right. what ways are we... It's like, yeah, the, the, ignoring the atrocities that are over the fence over here that aren't our issues to deal with or acknowledge and going about our day-to-day -day not acknowledging that this is happening to these people and these are happening and we're not saying anything how complicit we are in that. So I think it is definitely without waving its finger, you know, um, convicting us of those same kinds of, um, that same kind of um, apathy towards towards others, you know, the plight of others. And I think that's one of the ways that it's very effective. Well, I think Absolutely. it's interesting that it's out the same year as Killers of the Flower Moon mm -hmm. because it's very easy to sort of look at that and say, wow, this is a group of people who just are blind to what's happening, willfully blind mm -hmm. to what's happening over there so that they can build a great life for themselves. For themselves, yeah. And you sort of see at that. At the expense of other people. At the expense of other people. And so I think you see that very much as being, there's a, so definitely some themes that I think that Scorsese did a good job of bringing to the fore of Killers of the Flower Moon that are very similar to, you know, if you've seen Zone of Interest, that scene with the fur coat, how is that any different uh, right. from so much of what goes down mm -hmm. in Killers of the Flower mm -hmm. Moon? Well, and it just goes to show you that it's not like, uh, you know, it's easy to picture evil is so far away. Oh, Nazi Germany was so long ago. Oh, Killers of Flower Moon was 100 years ago. We've progressed as a society. Yeah. No, it's really easy. You can have people yeah. in your backyard yeah. who are suffering and you're just turning a blind eye to it and yeah. you're profiting off of it. And it's a challenging film. I really admire the hell out of it. I respect the hell out of it. I think it actually has really powerful utility, specifically for these types of conversations that we have on this podcast, but also just in terms of like academia, in terms of really diving into that subject matter. That said, I think my pick for Shudwin would also be Society of the Snow. I just think it's more palpable. I will almost certainly go back and rewatch that film, not regularly, but I'll watch it again. And I can also imagine several scenarios where I recommend the film Tell as the a people. sort of a survivalist. I would recommend The Zone of Interest to a certain type. to a certain type of person yeah. with a very specific set of parameters for how you should approach watching it, mm -hmm. um, but I do think it Zone of Interest will win. Society of the Snow, for my pick, should win. That said, really not going to be mad about Zone of Interest winning either. Yeah, let's move on to best makeup and hairstyling, and the nominees are Golda, Maestro, Oppenheimer. Poor Things, and Society of the Snow. Bam, what are your picks? What a weird category. Right. I mean, it's just weird, right? I'm not the only one who's looking at this going, wow, it's like they took every kind of makeup that you can do and just shoved it into one category and went, <laughs> yeah, you guys figure it out. <laughs> so you have Golda and my show, which are very much about prosthetics and, and trying to recreate the look of a well-known historic person. Um, and then you have um, Poor Things, which, again, I have not seen. I have seen what it looks like, and I, I think that makeup and hair are arguably very Strong. essential yeah. to the telling of that story. Um, 
Oppenheimer kind of gets in there on the whole like historic period kind of thing, which I think you could have easily seen Killers of the Flower Moon in here as well. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that you would have been very justified in having them in there. And then I have not seen Society of the Snow, so it's hard for Lots me to say. Lots uh, of cold like you know like decaying not, people decaying skin and frozen lips and yeah. so a lot yeah a lot of kind of disaster. more graphic more graphic without being overly flashy but mm-hmm. kind of more a little more graphic survivalist it just was released so late that i didn't catch this one yeah. i didn't catch yeah. So. well we yeah it, it didn't o- actually release yeah, netflix, to anyone uh, until netflix in january right. yeah um and i think that will be a definite disadvantage to that i don't think enough people have seen that or golda to really yeah care. i don't think anyone saw golda I know Oh, I, mean, I love Helen Mirren, but I love Helen Mirren, but as Golda, mm, it's a choice. <laughs> it's, it is. A, it's a yeah. That's a choice that you could make. Obviously, <laughs> um, whether or not I would make it is a whole yeah. different story. <laughs> I, I think that you're going to see sort of an Oppenheimer versus Poor Things kind of category here. Essentially, um, I don't think that Maestro, especially some of the controversy over the makeup, you're going to see them be able to sort of capture anybody's imagination here. So I think it's going to come down to Oppenheimer versus poor things and not having seen porn things, I guess I'll say Oppenheimer. All right. So that's your could win, should win? Yes. Oppenheimer. Sure. Laurent Chapman? Um, my should win is poor things here. I think it was very impressive and very otherworldly um, and nuanced it in a way. And it, it, it's weird to say that because it is kind of grotesque, but you get used to the grotesqueness of the film and and the different weird kind of kooky characters that come into it and you take them seriously and don't see them as creatures, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so that would be my choice for should win here. And I actually disagree. I think Maestro is, this is the category I think it's going to take. This is the one that I think it's going to get. And I think it's because yeah. of that de-aging. That, I mean, where the, the old aging, age makeup. Yeah. The very subtle aging of it. It's something they love to do. And it's it's one of the things I've heard the most, more than the performances. I've heard that the makeup is fantastic in it. And that that the, the older Carrie Mulligan is it, it sells well. And then that Bernstein, you know, it, it, you know, it's done well. And I think that, I'm not as impressed by that as I am in some of the other others in this category, but the narrative all year has been that Maestro is probably going to take this award, and so I I tend to agree. You know, so even with all the controversy over the Jewish nose, that's I think that was I think that was controversy before people actually saw the movie, though. I think mm-hmm. once people saw the movie, I I really didn't see as much controversy about. But maybe I'm also not looking it's, in those places online. It's, it's also true. It's very valid. I, I've only heard of passing controversy, con- passing knowledge of that controversy. But that I'm, I, it's definitely something to consider. Sure. Uh, you know, I also tend to agree that I think Maestro is going to win because of the old age makeup. Uh, it's not my pick. I, I'm honestly, I would probably go Oppenheimer. So here's the thing, with Oppenheimer. It's a, it has a cool story, which is, and I think this is probably they've been using it on the the campaign which is, you know that scene at the end of the movie where they have basically the entire cast in the one room where he gets the medal at the old age? Well, they put everyone in old age makeup. They Everyone who was there. It's not like they had certain actors and they cut away. No, if you were, they were in that room and they were a prominent character anywhere in the movie, they got the old age makeup and they talked about how crazy it was, how they had to do it on a schedule and how Chris Nolan was insistent that everyone had it. Anyway, the story, I think, gives it a leg up in terms of could win. 
I would say Shudwinks, I thought the makeup was pretty good. Nothing to go home about, but I thought it overall looked pretty solid. I liked it better than the way Maestro makeup looked, but I do think Micro, Maestro, Maestro, the old age, is very, in terms of makeup, very flashy. Yeah. And it's integral to the story, too. Yes. So, I mean, they're covering a large swath of time, you know, but, you know, yeah. It's not an exciting win. No. But I feel like, it, I, I do feel like it will That's be. That's the one thing it's going to win. Maybe. Maybe. Let's move on to best production design, where the nominees are Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. LaRon Chapman, who's winning best production design? Barbie and Barbie and Barbie. You know, so if you don't give this to Barbie, then it's just, it's a travesty, really. I mean, uh, I think Poor Things production design is 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 very impressive, maybe just as much, but I think the narrative around around this movie, even before we saw a, a Margot Robbie performance or whatever, was like, look at the world they're creating. You know, really getting exciting about the aesthetic, getting excited about the, the, the Barbie dream house. Like, how is it going to look? How are they going to interpret this and make it realistic enough for us to buy into it? And then I think that everybody was kind of blown away by that. So I think that it, it is impressive. And so I feel like this this absolutely deserves to win, and I think it will as well. I think it's got in the bag. Mm-hmm. All right. Brandy? I think that um, that's correct. I, 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 I think that any other year, just think about that spanking scene in Killers of the Flower Moon. I yeah. think that production design alone, I mean, like some of the production design in that film is incredible. Yeah. I think of that scene, but I also think of like the courthouse scene that you mm-hmm. were talking about and some of those types of yeah. things. I think those are, I think that's fantastic. I think if there were any other year that right. you would have a shot with right. that right. of right. just being able to create these images and these these places out that are so out of it's sort of like Oppenheimer in 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 this category in terms of taking what you expect from that sort of historical epic and completely changing up the look at it in certain points. Mm-hmm. I really feel like uh, any other year this would be Killers of the Flower Moons to lose, but I feel like it's Barbie. I mean, I feel like it's got to be Barbies in this in this sort of year. I mean, I think you're going up against Barbie, which is all about production design. It's about creating this whole, you're not inviting people into a world. You're having to create a, mm-hmm. a literal Barbie land. And uh, I feel like that's From just, what? Your, for imagination. Imagination, looking yeah. at the toy and saying, how do we scale this to life form and make a world out of it? Well, and you're having to compete against, you, you remember, it's a largely female audience, although it certainly got a great, you know, subsection yeah. of, of men who went to see that movie. But it's a it's a female artist. You're having to compete against every little girl's imagination of right. what Barbie was in their head. Mm-hmm. And you pull it off, I think you deserve an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. I think you're going to win one. I think you should win one. Yeah. So tip of the pink hat to uh, Barbie. <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm gonna break, break, break here. Whoa, uh, whoa. Well, should win, no question, undoubtedly Barbie. I mean, come on. Boldness. Bold swings, imagination, uh, toys to life, theme park for your set design, and a really just stunning one at that. I mean, come on. Yeah. No question. And even uh, I think I'm thinking about like the montage where they go to the real world and you see all the different sets they had just wildly imagined. And their sets. They're moving. Right. They're real pieces Not of, CG. of art. You know. It's incredible. However... <laughs> So that's my pick for should win. Just want to make it explicitly clear. That's got my vote. I hope it wins. I hope I'm wrong. However, 
Poor Things also has crazy, impressive production design. Yeah. And I was talking about this uh, with front of the show, Zachary Burns, earlier today. And uh, there's something about there's something about Poor Things. Notice it swept the BAFTAs. Mm-hmm. There's something about it that makes you think this is a more highbrow or yeah. important film. I'm not saying I think this. I'm just saying the perception I think in the Academy is it, it feels a lot more in line with what the Academy would typically vote for in terms of a huge blockbuster movie. Yeah. Now Barbie's kind of a unique one, but I think in this case, because poor things is similarly going big, bold and imaginative, much like Barbie they're competing head to head. We created a whole universe, a right. whole world. You made a huge world. steampunk world. By the way, the source material, it's not steampunk. Like crazy world yeah. building, crazy imaginative detail, the title cards for the different chapters. I just think that there's a good possibility that the Academy is going to see that and be like, ah, yes, these are both beautiful and fantastic, but, but poor things meant something a little more important. That's my hunch. So I'm going to say how they feel that's how they feel. Yeah. That's how they feel. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, very clear. I do not think these things. I think the Academy voter sits down to vote. I feel like that's where their heads head could go. Hope I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong. I feel like it's a fleeting possibility. I just think, I don't know. Hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I might be wrong. Maybe I am. I'm probably wrong, but that would put me at will win. Poor things should win Barbie. I'll make explicitly clear yeah. of all the awards in this show. I think Barbie should win production design. So, more than like a, almost any other category. But let's move on to best animated feature where the nominees are The Boy and the Heron, Elemental, Nimona, Robot Dreams, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Brandy McDonald, who is going to win best animated feature film? You know, I love this category, right? So it's always one of my favorites. Likewise. Um, that being said, I am actually... Um, I'm surprised that for me anyway, it wasn't a bigger like contest because I, I did love the boy and the heron, but to me, it's not my favorite Miyazaki. It does not crack the top five. I mean, it is a great film, but you have to sort of like, he came out of retirement and all of these things. And it's to me, it's just like, you know what? It's not top shelf Miyazaki for me. I love the film but I don't love it as much as I love a lot of his other work. So for me, that was how I felt about The Boy and the Heron. To me, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, I had crazy high expectations for this film, and uh, and they managed to blast through every single one of them. So I definitely think that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse should win. I also think that it will win. Yeah. It just uh, Tacoma, a bunch of Annie Awards the other night, by the way, so it's... Definitely got the momentum at the awards. Well, Boy and the Heron did win the BAFTA. That's true. And so I do think that they had, um, that, that was a big win for them and a good win for the Boy and the Heron. And again, it's not it's not a slam on it at all. I thought it was a brilliant film, and it was great to see a Miyazaki film after not having seen a new one in a while, but it just didn't, to me, capture quite that level of magic when he's working at the top of his game. Sure. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very fair assessment of the film. I don't agree, but I think it's a fair one. And I I think that the odds are against it in this specific race. Ron Chapman? Now, has Miyazaki ever won an Oscar? Yeah, Spirited Away. Okay. Yes. Um I was going to say if he hadn't um then I then I'd be 
putting a little bit more attention there. I, it, I, I think it would be a more exciting win for sure. Um, but I do think that um, I do feel like even at this particular moment, I think that Spider Man still has has been the narrative again all year too. And I feel like that it that could change. It could change. You know, maybe last minute um, grassroots effort for for the boy and the heron could could change the conversation. But I think that. Um, I think that Spider-Man will take this. Um, my one, my one of the reasons I would like to see the Boy and the Heron take it instead of Spider-Man is it, it has an Oscar. The first, the, you know, the first film did get one, so a second one isn't as exciting, you know. Whereas, right. like a win for an anime film this late in late late life, you know, career of of a, of a master in this particular category would be much more significant, you know, than a second Spider-Man win. You know, that being said, I love the hell out of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And um, all my fatigue for any kind of franchise, Marvel, you know, what have you, like, went away when I saw that movie. You know what I mean? Like, I was, it completely invigorated why I liked these kinds of movies and animation. And, you know, so, you know, it's definitely not an, an undeserving win, you know. But um, but I, I, I do think it will win, but I would I would be more excited to see a boy in the heron one. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Laron. I so firstly, the other thing I want to want to call out about the boy in the heron that makes it really stand out for me is I I agree it might not be Miyazaki's best, but I do think it's one that I haven't been able to stop thinking about since I saw it. There's a lot of big ideas he's putting out there as a whole package. It's not Princess Mononoke. It's not Spirited Away, but for me, in some ways, it's saying things a little more profound that I'll be thinking about probably until the day I'm dead because it's about things a person thinks about at the end of his life. That said, the thing that really sticks out to me beyond all that, where it lacks in, in like cohesive story, hand-drawn animation. I mean, they spent how many years drawing this? They brought in some of the top animators from all of Japan to come work on this thing. And it was just a crazy impressive collaboration. Miyazaki is at the top. But he was able to bring in like a lot of his former protégés who've all gone and worked at various aspects of the anime and the animation industry. And I, I just thought, you, you just don't see animation like that. That studios, a, a studio would allow their animators to spend that much time and money hand-drawing things. We just don't do it that way anymore. And so this might be one of the last great hand-drawn animated films we get ever. Yeah. So for me, that's where I, I land on The Boy and the Heron is my pick. However... Yeah, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse was incredible. It was in my top 10. Uh, it blew my socks off. The animation, it's crazy innovative. There's like, what, probably 12 different animation styles oftentimes stacked on top of one another. They have different animated characters in the same scene with different frame rates. And you don't Wild. get confused by nope. it. Like, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel messy and disjointed. It does still feel very like, you know where everything's at. You right. Know, which is, it's very impressive, you know. It's crazy impressive. So I think it will win. I think it's got the momentum. I'm not going to be heartbroken about it at all. I think it's a magnificent film. And I think, you know, there was a good decade where I, it felt like, okay, we're just going to give everything to Pixar or Disney animated. And frankly, I don't think they, while on a storytelling level, there were some years, there were some pre standout films from an animation perspective. I really don't think they were animated, uh, sorry, uh, innovating all that much. So to have two films that I think are really raising and pushing the bar forward to be in this category where if either film wins, we, we all win. Like yeah. I think it's I think it's just a testament to uh, how powerful each of those are in their own respective ways. So I think my pick would be should win Born the Heron, will win Spider Man across the Spider Verse. And R.I.P. TNT 
yeah. <laughs> Mutant Mayhem, which uh, I think should be here over some th- others. Yeah, but it's fine. It's fine. It wouldn't yeah. have won, but it would have been nice to see. I would definitely would have put it in over Nimona or Robot Dreams, personally. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I like both of those fine. They're both fine. Let's move on to Best Visual Effects. And the nominees are The Creator. The Oscar nominated The Creator. Twice Oscar nominated The Creator. Godzilla Minus One. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And Napoleon. Laurent Chapman, who's got the gold? Man, the fact that Godzilla Minus One squeaked in here so late in the game it just shows me that there is a a wealth of support for that particular one and um me not being like a super big um tell me the words kaiju 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 you know i've seen these and i appreciate them but that one pretty much blew me away when I saw it, and I saw it very late. I've, I've succumbed to all of the, you, you know. Finally, caved all the pressure. Everybody was like, "You got to see it! You got to see it!" And I was like, "It's Godzilla! I know it looks great. I've seen Godzilla movies; they all look great." It's like, but it it looks great, and for what it was made for, it's like fifteen million dollars. It's is it's it's a feat, you know, in terms of visual effects, and so I really do think there's a grassroots efforts for that to win. I can feel the, I can feel the outside love and support for that one. So I do think that that one should win. And I think it also will win. All right. Will win, should win, minus one. Brandy? I would love to see Godzilla minus one live. Let's win. go. I would love it. I would love it. That movie made me cry. Yes. Like, who did? Who had it on their bingo card that a Godzilla movie would make you cry right? in 2023? Or 2024, actually. It's on it, came out of, it came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. Yeah. Nowhere. But yes, I I would love to see Godzilla minus one win this category. And I'm hopeful that it can get there, mostly because I don't think this is a particularly strong, strong category. category. No, I mean it's not a particularly strong category. And am I the only one that's kind of surprised to not see Oppenheimer in here? It's in everything else. It's a bizarre omission. I'm very confused by that because maybe it didn't use a lot of CG, but I mean we saw the sequences where they're doing all sorts of cool things with the bomb and the atoms. I, I mean, think it's because. Nolan and I don't know. Nolan very explicitly said multiple times we didn't we use all practical effects and everything. This whole sequence was done, and I think that him trying to steer away from it being digitalized, you know what I mean? Like they just fed into it, but it it's there. The practical effects are still visual visual effects, effects. exactly. (laughs) It's like what that's I don't understand that. And I think you and I think whenever you think back on Oppenheimer, some of those key visual effects images are the images that stand out for a lot of people. So. I'm I'm really surprised that it's not not in here, and I think that since it isn't a category that I think is necessarily going to like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, I don't think they did anything that was any different than it's what they've done movie. on any of those movies or any Marvel movie. Really, I mean, I think Mission Impossible Two. I mean, it almost runs into the same problem as Oppenheimer. It's like that's a lot of practical effects as well. I mean, so I feel like just absent that, I, I really. I think that Godzilla minus one should win, and I'm very, very hopeful that it will win. Fingers crossed. Rooting for the kaiju. Yeah. I'm on the same page as you guys. I mean, Godzilla minus one, also in my top 10. I didn't, seriously didn't expect that movie. And even when I heard it was good, I was like, okay, it'll be a good Godzilla movie. The Japanese Godzilla movies, even the good ones tend to be pretty good. This one was great. Mm -hmm. And again, the fact that the visual effects, this movie was a $15 million budgeted movie. 
It's competing with a Guardians of the Galaxy movie that was at least 200 mil. Mission yeah. Impossible, the most expensive, one of the most expensive movies ever made. Napoleon, $200 million movie. Yeah. And Godzilla Minus One. Least. Absolutely. So, so for me, for my money, I feel like that should be a clear indicator. Now, I do want to give a tip of the hat to the creator. Didn't really like that movie that much. But, you know, they made that movie for like 40 or $50 million, and it looked better it than, good. you know. It looks good. It's just, yeah. It's like a Stories, $200 million. Kinda. Yeah, the movie's yeah. not that great, though. Not. So Godzilla Minus One. Will uh, should win. Fairly confident will win because of all the grass reef moments. Did you guys see the reaction uh, in Japan when mm-hmm. they when they 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 found out that the they got nominated? Of, yeah, yeah, they just. Well, yeah. and you guys, since you guys didn't watch it live, I did watch the nominations live, and even the room where they were the announcing the nominations, like everybody went woo and everybody cheered. Yeah, they didn't expect it to happen. That room, mm-hmm. so um, and that's not the room that's necessarily the home court. Yeah, right, yeah, for that, general people. You yeah. know, so um, I'm 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 proud supporter of Godzilla minus one. Let's go. And let's move on to best documentary feature. Now, listeners, we have a confession to make collectively, all three of us. There are five nominees here. I can say I watched five documentaries last year. I can also say that none of them are the five nominated. <laughs> so, Laurent, Brandy, and myself, we did not see these movies. And I think that's a testament to how, like, like just odd the category. I mean, like, the category this year is I seriously doubt among we are not academy voters but i i seriously doubt that there are that many academy voters that necessarily had a very different reaction than we did it's like i saw documentaries and none of them were these yeah i mean so i'm sure that there are a lot of academy voters who had the same reaction that mm-hmm. we're having now admittedly i saw some and the ones that again that were getting the most buzz at the time at the time and it, it's none of these so um yeah there's only one in this category that i have heard of you know, heard good things about, and you know, and that's Twenty Days in Mariupol, and so. Well, that's the one. Based on what I was reading online, that's the one that everyone seems to think is going to win. Yeah, so um, that's my my <laughs> mail. But the vote. documentary about escaping North Korea, the missionary getting breaking people out of North Korea, that was an incredible story, and like that was a top rated documentary across list at the end of last year. Yeah, and not nominated. Come on. Yeah. Maybe you should read what was nominated because I still am having a hard time believing it. Thank you. That's a good point for the listeners. They probably want to hear what was nominated, even <laughs> yeah. if we didn't see They probably see don't know what they're talking about either. So the nominees are Bobby Wine, The People's President, The Eternal Memory, Four Daughters, To Kill a Tiger, and 20 Days in Maripool. Yeah. No think- American Symphony, which is one that I... Was huge shock. Was a... Obviously a populist choice, but I would have expected it because it still got a lot of love. So I thought, okay, that'll probably see it here. It's nominated for songs, so, but, yeah. Well, and and an incredible story that was extremely well told. Mm. I don't, I mean, I was a little concerned. I mean, and this isn't always the case, but a lot of the documentaries that get made in the United States especially seem to be music documentaries yeah. or, you know, that's a, that's a lot of the genre uh, mm-hmm. takes up a lot of the oxygen, I guess, so to speak, in especially in the United States or music documentaries. But this was far from just your standard yeah. music documentary. This is about an African American artist trying to make a symphony that speaks to the time with underrepresented voices and underrepresented types of music in the middle of his partner, you know, seeming to die of cancer. You yeah, know, right. so. I mean, I think that it's an incredibly emotional film, but I think it's a very um, 
it's more than just a music sure. show, more than just a rock it's a human story kind of thing. Too. It's a very human story and very well told and very um, inspiring. And I feel like um, maybe still also the the um, Michael J. Fox mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. film I think is um, is another sort of popular or populist choice maybe, but. I'm really surprised that's not here. I mean, that is a, you know, he yeah. has a disease that a lot of people it's connect, very, with. It's yeah. a, connect with. It's a very common disease, but it's also a very common classification of diseases, mm-hmm. of neurological disorders. Um, and I feel like that is something that a lot of people can relate to. And um, and he's obviously a very well-liked figure who's been very open about his yeah. experiences. So I'm I'm really surprised that's not here. At least one of them would have yeah. made sense here. Yeah. I'm very shocked by the fact that literally all of the top rated there's no still American Symphony. Those are both popular. The one I referenced earlier about the North Korean immigrants, Beyond Utopia, which was getting a lot of crazy critical acclaim. The Mission on Disney Plus was the one about the missionary who uh, went to the the, the country and, and died. I, there's just it's just a weird. Weird choices, I, I think. Um, and I would have liked to have seen Black Barbie in here, but it hasn't been released yet. Oh. Next year. Next year. Next year. Ne- ne- Netflix acquired it, yeah. right? Through, yeah, with Shondaland. Yeah, through their agreement with Shondaland. So, uh, listeners, Black Barbie 2024. Keep your eyes open. It's a great one. Seriously, mm-hmm. one of my favorites the last history year. History of Black Barbies, yes. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to our next category, which is Best Director. And the nominees are Justin... Justine Trier for Anatomy of Fall, Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things, and Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest. And real quickly, I'm just going to say we've already talked a lot about the lack of the Greta Gerwig, and it sounds like at this table we are all in agreement that it's a it's a sad omission. With that being said, uh, earlier and again, what do we think of this category? Who will win, should win, Brandy? Um, I think that Christopher Nolan will win. Um, I think it's hard to say that he shouldn't win. Um, I think that there's some very good work by Justine Triet and Triet and Martin Scorsese both in this in this category. Um, but again, I think that this is one of the categories that Oppenheimer pretty much has locked up. And it's, again, it's hard to say he shouldn't win. I wouldn't necessarily say that um, I would give it to someone else over him necessarily, but I think that he, he will win and he should win and should surely should, shouldn't not win. Well, it's tough, right? Because because then that's what makes this category so tough. There's at least three people here I really want to win, and two people here I'm like, well, I understand why you're here, and I could see how you could win. And then there's a couple people who really should been been here that, that aren't here. It's but Christopher Nolan. I mean, guys, he's been cranking out hits for twenty years now, mm-hmm. and he's championed IMAX he format. He has the old narrative. For he sure. does. He it, not only the ode because he's just been putting his dues for so long, but he is championing like the preservation of film in a way that other directors or few other directors are. He's certainly using his clout for a cause, and the cause being the the yeah. the um, uh, conservation of cinema as an art form. And he's been a great a great um, advocate of like 
of making commercially successful movies with kind of an indie director spirit. Right. And and, and that's why I think his Batman movies did really well. That's why I think that, because he's bringing a certain grit to his movies that aren't, you know, it has polish, but there's, it, but they're not, they're not, uh, what, James Cameron level of like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, there's still that level of, of, Autourism that he's bringing to it, you know. He's classy. He he's, brings a class yeah. and a He just a finds a way to make it appeal broadly. Yeah. yeah, so. Well, and I like what Scorsese did with Killers of the Flower Moon in terms of a high level of allyship. Yes. Somebody who takes the fact that they have the cultural capital to do something like this and make sure that it is done in all of the right ways that you can do it, including then continuing to champion your Native American actors who has, you know, the Oscar nomination continuing to champion native storytellers possibly getting a chance to tell this story. And so I think that it that comes into play for me that that's one of the reasons why I would definitely uh, love it to see him win this because I feel like it would be all that right energy would come to it and come with it. But I do think that this is not his best film necessarily, so to speak, but I don't necessarily know whether Oppenheimer is Nolan's best film but I wouldn't say it's not his best film definitively. Right. If that makes sense. And I think with Scorsese, I kind of put him in the same category as I would Leo in this, where there was the narrative of when is he ever going to win? And then he went through The Departed, which was a good film, but not even not, close to his best Not even film. close to his yeah. best work. The Revenant, good film, but not really close to right. Leo's best work. But they finally got it. And so I think now the old narrative and the like this would probably be a more deserving director win for Scorsese, you know, where one that we'd be like, hey, he did a lot with this one. And um but because these people have had that had that narrative before and have since have since taken home gold, I feel like that's where it hurts them in these categories where And I think in a less competitive year it does seem like it's an obvious Scorsese win. Like yeah. because I, I I part of me does really want to pull for Scorsese because of the allyship, because of how he, he brought the film to Oklahoma and shot it here. Just a real like like strive for accuracy and authenticity in a way that we rarely, rarely see in, in Hollywood films anymore. Um, no, no care to do that. You right. know, like, oh, I'm going to sell it the way I want to. It's just, uh, you know, he... Well, you know, we had the conversation about, you know, uh, Christopher Nolan, you know, women problems, which we don't need uh, to go down the rabbit hole uh, and at this time. But in general, it's like, well, you know, you have your Scorsese's who you like, he might not get it, but he will... He will put in the work to listen and try to figure out how to take that feedback. He hears the critiques and he's making the the Mm -hmm. changes. And Christopher Nolan's like, I hear you and uh, I don't care. That's true. true. (laughs) I'm just going to make movies that I'm interested in. I happen to be interested in making movies for and about men. You know, that's fine. Um, Anyway. White men at that. uh, True. Uh, Laurent Chapman, what are your predictions here? Uh, Yeah, Nolan and Nolan. Um, I I feel like um, it'd be nice to see Scorsese take this, but... I think because of the narrative and because of you know that he hasn't had he hasn't had this this recognition on this scale and he's finally made it to this spot it, it hits his time you know and he did make an incredible movie this year you know that did incredibly well was well received and um, and is very impressive um, again I don't know if it's my favorite of his catalog of films but right. it is definitely in the top tier of that um, so um, this is a more than worthy you know win for this so. Yeah, I agree. I, it's not my favorite of his, uh, but I do think it's a worthy film. And hey, he made, again, three-hour adult drama, rated R, almost a billion dollars. It's unheard of. Unheard of. No one else can do that. Yeah. Uh, and he leveraged that via the IMAX to, to bring the IMAX back home. So 
I'm going to go will win, should win. I, there is part of me that would love to see Marty get it because I do think this is one where you can clearly see the effort yeah. uh, on the screen. But I don't know. Sometimes it's just someone else's year. Yeah. And in this case, it's Chris Nolan. Let's move on to best actor in a supporting role. And the nominees are Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction, Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo. Oh, that's what that performance made me think of. Four <laughs> poor things. <laughs> um, LeBron Chapman, what's your pick here? Um, this is Robert Downey Jr.'s. I used to think this was a Robert Downey Jr. versus Ryan Gosling year, but that has just not been the I case. He has been stealing every trophy at every critics choice everything like ones that don't even matter it's like so and and it's deserving robert he disappears into this role it's a very effective supporting supporting role and nice to see him act because he's always been a good actor and it's just nice to see him doing something you know with meat on it and and this was just like a, a nice buffet of everything he can do well you know with 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 his um comedic and dramatic chops and so i think this is Definitely Robert Downey Jr. should and will win. All right. Brandy? I don't know if I've ever... It's rare to see a category. I won't say ever, but it's rare to see a category that is so competitive but at the same time such an obvious, yeah, clear-cut yeah. Like so many favorite. Like good, 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 good roles, but yeah. it's definitely that dude. Yeah, so <laughs> many great performances here. Robert De Niro is a great villain in that film, Absolutely. and yet is subtle enough at it that you can see how he managed to fool people. You yeah. know, um, I, I, I love Sterling K. Brown in American fiction. I think he's so good in what he does. He's so good at what he does in everything he does, but he was great in that film. Um, of course, Ryan Gosling taking the role of Ken and just, you know, shattering expectations just doing i mean just what he does in that is is just incredible i mean he's just such a just does such a good just a fantastic job but robert downey jr is gonna win and i find it impossible to say that he shouldn't right win and uh and by the way there's some makeup for you um mm. because uh uh, Robert Downey Jr. is a handsome gentleman, and they managed to make him look not Gauntly. handsome at all. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and but I mean, what a performance! I mean, he's incredible. Yeah. Um, it's just, and it's so odd. I mean, it's just he's just such the clear cut favorite in a category that is so competitive. But I think he should win, and I definitely you will win. Yeah, I. It's tough to argue against it, and he's going against type. He's just it's such a subdued performance and yet he's able to showcase what he does really well the charisma shines through and what he doesn't do it's it's wild it's incredible and there's no competition yeah will win should win and i love all of these performances and there yeah. are other nominees that people charles that, melton that, you know, is what i would have loved to see one, here you know you know i just, would have loved to see dominic sessa in here from yeah, from holdovers i mean i think he would have done i mean he, i thought that was an incredible performance but the dog in Anatomy of a Fall. Come, come on, guys, come seriously. On. Did you see that he was at one of the award shows or at some like award he lunch did. or something? Yeah, he was at the Oscars luncheon. <laughs> Even yeah. the kid, honestly, the kid in Anatomy of a Fall was good. really good too. Really quiet performance, but really well done. Crazy competitive year for supporting. I would say supporting actor and actress both. Uh, but uh, that one in particular was a. It's like, yeah, it's impossible to choose. But actually, Robert Downey Jr., it's so easy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he is owed one. Air quotes. I say out. He's got the narrative going for him. He's been nominated a few times. I don't think he's won one yet. 
I think this will be his first win. I'm pretty sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. Let's move on to Best Actress in a Supporting Role. And the nominees are Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple, American Ferreira for Barbie, Jodie Foster for Nyad, Devine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. Oh, edit. Uh, Jodie Foster should have been for True Detective uh, Night Country. <laughs> <laughs> Great show. Great show. Different uh, podcast. Great show. Yes. Different podcasts. Brandy, what's your pick here? I think this is an interesting category because there are other performers that I would have liked to have seen in here. I would have liked to have seen some of the performers from Killers of the Farm. Right. And I think Tantoon Carnal is great. I think Cara J. Myers is every time she's on screen, you can't stop looking at her. And so I really feel like there's some some other people that I would have liked to have seen um, in here, I, I would really go to the mat for including Annette Benning um, for Nyad. I wasn't as high on Jodie Foster's performance in that film. Mm, okay. You know, I it wasn't, it didn't light up my world, I guess, so to speak. Um, I don't know, but I think that it's, um, it, it certainly wasn't a horrible performance by any means, but I feel like she's a little bit of a safe pick here. But <laughs> at the same time, um, I feel like America Ferrera had maybe the moment of the year at the movies in terms of a supporting role where you see that uh, maybe like the under the Judy Dench standard where you mm. you you give the you have the one thing that you, you have do. the scene you have the scene that, that got you do siphoned so and used well and, and, yeah you know and I think that um, that is admirable but there's just this is this is the same thing as supporting actor there's just not any contest here I mean yeah. I feel like Divine Joy Randolph has won everything. And she's going to continue to win everything. And when you see that movie, you can't be mad about right? it. She's magnificent no. in the thing. And uh, so I think she she should win. I think it's impossible to say that she shouldn't and that she will. All right, Laron. I Yeah, it's, it's, it's Davine Joy Randolph. And you know what's what I love about this is that I love that she's the front runner here. And this is not a showy performance. That's true. It's, it's a not, very understated yeah dialed back performance she just stands out in her you know kind of quiet suffering and and empathy in that role and i, I love that they're championing that because normally in this category you get a flashy one like ken or or robert downey jr and this is a quiet role and so i really i like that they're going with that because there there were like you said there are flashier things they could have done in this category arguably jodie foster's is a louder performance certainly but you know it's nice that that everyone's kind of championing this 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 very quiet but understated and really well made you know really beautiful kind of performance from her and, and so nice to see it. and I, just, I would say that black actresses sometimes get that even worse right mm -hmm. i mean i would think that it's it's even nicer to say that it's a, a black actress that's given an opportunity to give a, a, a very understated, understated performance because honestly the earlier in the year it, the conversation was really going more towards the Danielle Brooks and mm -hmm. Color Purple even before the uh, sight unseen people were like oh it's the Oprah supporting role reimagined it's going to be loud and flashy and it was and it was good and I'm glad she's here it's nice to see her but even after seeing it, I was like, man, I bet the one that resonated with me emotionally was her. So it was, was Divine Joy Randolph. So nice to see. It'll be, I'll be happy to see her up there. I'll be excited to see what she does next, too. I love it when we get to see these actors with, I mean, because she's, I mean, what, television? Like, she's not a movie star. Yeah. So to see her get this role, hit a home run with mm -hmm. an understated performance, and then she's going to win. Yeah. Can't wait to see what she does next. And yeah, so no no debate here. Will win, should win. This is probably the easy. This and RDJ are probably the easiest categories it's in the, the whole ballot. Yeah. yeah. 
The leading categories, man, significantly less certain. <laughs> I will say, I, and I thought for sure up until about the last what month and a half is when things really shifted because going into best lead actor, it seemed like a shoe in, Killian Murphy. But let's first. Oh, sorry, getting ahead of myself. And the nominees for best actor in a leading role are Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Coleman Domingo for Rustin, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers. Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer and Jeffrey Wright for American fiction. You know, going into the season, Killian Murphy, since the movie came out certain, like without, with a, you know, without a, without a doubt. And then the holdovers came out and people said, yeah, Paul Giamatti, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. It's a great role for him. They wrote the, like, it feels like the, the role felt so built for him and he nails it. Yeah. And you're like, okay, we'll get some critical acclaim. He'll be nominated. That'll be great, you know, and he didn't win for Sideways, but we're bringing him back in here. And like in the last month, the competition has heated up. Mm-hmm. I, I So with that said, open the floor. LeBron Chapman, who will win, should win here. This is hard. This is one of those things. Should is strong. It's a strong word. I love Killian Murphy in, in that role. And it's, it's again, it's an understated, like, very. it's all in his face. It's all in his head. You know, he's he has to shoulder a three-hour movie. And I do feel like he does a really good job of doing a lot without saying a lot. Um, but I have loved Paul Giamatti for so long, and I've always thought he was an unsung hero of so many movies, even bad movies. I'm like, man, but Paul Giamatti's going for it. Every supporting role, he's a great character actor. And this is just like a highlight reel for me of everything he can do. Everything is in his arsenal dramatically, comedically, his like his like freak outs, his manic anger. You know, it's just he just it's all there. And it ends on such a like a beautifully tender note. And I'm just like, God, I mean, it'd be really nice. Won't happen because it's going to be Killian Murphy. And then as the conversation has kind of shifted as the year has gone on, I mean, it's the year. The, the, yeah, I guess the year has gone on. Um, it, it's nice to see that there's a possibility of a Paul Giamatti Oscar win. I would be happy with it. And so that's personally my should win. But I would not be upset if Killian Murphy won. That said, I still think it's probably going to be Killian Murphy. Mm-hmm. So you were so impressed by the masterworks of Paul Giamatti of your childhood, like uh, Big Fat Liar. And, That's the one. And uh, the orangutan from the Planet of the Apes 2001. One. Those are the ones? He's a chameleon. <laughs> <laughs> he can do anything. <laughs> Frankly, he still is actually the best parts of those movies, by the way. Um, Brandy McDonald, what do you think? Who's going to win Best Lead Actor? Uh, I am a longtime Killian Murphy fan, and okay. I'm surprised to hear myself saying that I think that Paul Giamatti will win. Wow, okay. I think that you're going to see him take it. I think that there's just, again, there's some of that narrative that comes down to being owed something. Didn't get nominated for Sideways. Mm-hmm. He's been Oscar nominated before, but, you know. Or I like think Cinderella Man. Supporting actor for Cinderella Man, which, by the way, I love that movie, but y'all know I have a Achilles heel for, an, you know, underdog, underdog sports, sports movies, dramas. Right, yep. And, uh, but he's also fantastic in it. And, uh, but, you know, I... I just feel like there's a lot going for him in terms of the narrative of awarding him for a standout career and and things like that. I really do feel like you're going to see him win. Should win. I love the performance and I um I'm I I would definitely say I'm not going to be mad about it. I think what Killian Murphy does is a lot subtler mm-hmm. and a lot maybe harder to pull off to make that character 
magnetic enough yeah. to sort of want to follow him through this whole three and a half hour journey and for him to so much in his face, because he doesn't talk that much, to sort of let all of those things sort of play out yeah. to be a character that you want to continue to stay interested in when he does some very unsavory things. I feel like there's a lot to be said for that performance. And the more I talk about it, the more I like it. But at the same time, I really do feel like you're going to see, this is so close. It's mm. a squeaker, but I do think you're going to see Paul Giamatti win. And I'm not going to say he shouldn't, but I think that it's a shame that these two performances are the same year. And I just, can there be a tie? Can they split an Oscar <laughs> in half? Yeah. Killian Murphy like gets that? it and cracks it in half yeah. on the stage and calls <laughs> Paul Giamatti up, you know? That would be, that would be the best case scenario. Well, right and there. also, I think I agree with that, too. What, what Paul Giamatti does in the holdovers, I will say... Is not out of out of his wheelhouse. He's done he, it before. He's done it before, and this is just it. It plays to his strengths, and he's just going for it. But and admittedly, yeah, I mean the technical on a technical level for sure, Killian Murphy's is more impressive in that way. And I also think, to be fair, Killian Murphy has a very storied and caricature-y kind of history too. He's played many different types. I'm of saying characters. like he's a he he comes from a character actor back a similar mm -hmm. character actor background where where he's one of those guys you're thinking he's never going to be a leading man and then sure enough no one makes this movie and he's like I got I know the guy this is the guy the one guy who can play this role. Well, and I think too you see that with with Paul Giamatti with Sideways. I mean, I think you saw a rare moment where a character actor gets to play right. a leading man role and then it went unsung by the Academy and yeah. now here he is back 20 years later he Same gets another, another chance to be a leading man. But I think it is interesting that these you have these two character actors who have been such interesting careers to mm -hmm. follow. Moments of brilliance, moments of what is happening here. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, um, and but then you get to this point in their career and the their prestige point, and they're, and like, they're oh, competing against each, each other. other. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. It's an impossible choice. That said, I'm picking Killian Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> I, love that. Um, I hate it. I hate it though because I, I'm with you guys. I I think Killian Murphy's gonna squeak it out, but I will tell you, it is so much more of a race than I thought it was gonna be. And Paul Giamatti, again. We should probably, the word owed is probably not the way I like to frame it. Deserved. He's overdue in the fact that he's deserved one for a while. He deserved the acclaim and the love, and I want him to win an Oscar. And I would love for him to win an Oscar for this role, just not this year when it's up against Killian Murphy as Oppenheimer. That's fair. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go Will win, should win Killian Murphy. But man, Paul Giamatti really could, uh, could come in and swoop in, and I wouldn't be upset. Let's move on to... The Beast. The penultimate category of our discussion today. Best Actress in a Leading Role. And the nominees are <laughs> Annette Benning for Nyad, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, and Emma Stone for Poor Things. I'm just going to start out by saying, um, you know, if the Academy were to give this award to another woman who already has an Oscar. This is uh, another Martin Scorsese thing. They already won one. Was it for the thing that they probably should have won it for? No, but they already have one. Yeah. And it's a great performance, but no. And this movie in particular, which I'm, again, it sounds like I'm poo-pooing on poor things. I just don't think this movie is going to have a big impact that people are going to be coming back to it in 10 years. 
So for her to win in this movie, I feel like we are going to be kicking ourselves for the next 20 years. Like the same way we were about, hey, remember how the artist won a bunch of stuff? No one remembers that movie, but they loved it that year in that moment. They really did. And uh, I don't know. What's, there's another example. Green Book is another one. Hey, how did, did that? Did love that movie? <laughs> oh, I, I guess the Academy. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I, so, uh, <clears throat> I'm just going to say, before I put my official prediction in, if Emma Stone wins this, she kills it. Yes. Puts in 110% and a very flashy, showy performance that demands a lot of her. Yeah. And she she did the assignment, and it's great. But also, man, I'm going to be really upset if she wins this award. Okay. That said, Brandy McDonald, what is your predictions? <laughs> I don't. Man, I've been covering. I've been doing this for so long, guys. And I, and I don't. I don't get a pit. I like a knot in my stomach about the Oscars anymore. I just don't. I have a knot in my stomach about oh, this no. category. I have a knot in my stomach because Lily Gladstone should win this and Lily Gladstone deserves to win this and she deserves to win it on every level. I mean, the quality of the performance, the ability of her to outshine co-stars that are much more heralded than her, the ability of her to carry a three and a half hour movie as an actress who had not had a chance to be in hardly any Mainstream. Large productions like that. The ability of an actress to embody all of the complicated emotions that go into this story. is All of it is phenomenal and incredible. The quality, and then you take all of those sort of like intangibles of it. She deserves to win it for all those reasons, but she also deserves to win it for the quality of the campaign where you're aware of the historic nature of what you're doing and you're championing all the right people and you're championing all the right things and you're taking questions on red carpets that are stupid Dumb. or, mm -hmm. you know, ignorant or, you know, just, I mean, and you're handling them all with grace and with dignity and all this kind of thing. And then you take it from that historic, you know, sort of, level as well she's the first native american woman ever nominated there's never been an indigenous woman win it this is the 96th or 97th 96th 96th in 100 Oscars. years we've never given this to a woman who is native or indigenous it's the first time for a native american woman to even be nominated do you know how many movies have been made in that time frame that had to do with native american women a lot. And yet they've never been given even half of the platform in a mainstream film to show what they could do on this level. And the first time you get the opportunity, you knock it out of the park. Yep. Nothing should stand in the way of this woman getting an Oscar, but by golly, Emma Stone and her Yorgos film, hmm, don't get me started, with her unibrow, are in the way right now, <laughs> and it's bothering me. I just, again, want to reiterate, I feel like all of us, even it's like the next day, it's like when you eat Taco Bell, you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. We're going to eat Emma Stone the next morning. Every Academy member wakes up, oh, man, why why did we do that? That was a bad idea. Um, yeah, it's it's not. It's, it, listen, 
up until similarly to Paul Giamatti, up until about the last two months, it seemed like a no-brainer. An absolute No brainer. contest. But as some of these other award shows have come in and the narrative has started sweeping up and the BAFTAs just said, we don't even care about Lily Gladstone, it's... Or it, killers at all, really. And, and it puts enough doubt in your mind where you're like, uh-oh, this is not as surefire as it seemed like it should be. Yeah. Because it should be a no-brainer. Lauren Chapman. I have so many complicated feelings here, you know, because I Poor Things is my favorite movie this year. Emma Stone is an actress I've admired for a really long time. I did not think she deserved the Oscar for La La Land. That might be a hot take. Um, I saw this and I was like, this is the best work of this woman's career. And I understand why people are championing this performance because it is insane and it goes, there's so many levels to it. It's flashy, it's showy, it's nuanced, it's all these things are happening. On a technical level, it's just so impressive. That being said, Lily Gladstone, again, ripped a movie away from Titan, acting Titans in a Martin Scorsese film. When she is what you walk away with, it says that she is the soul of that movie. On top of that, we're on the precipice of a historic moment in history, something that the Oscars has a, you know, a, you know, a very tenuous history with. And it's just like we are so close to making a historic ceiling break. And to give a second Oscar to someone, again, gave a great performance. I'm not going to take anything away from her. Feels like Taylor Swift winning a fourth album of the year for me. I'm just like, I get it. We love this woman, but also she doesn't need it. We know she's great. We know it. She has, we have all the accolades. We don't need to over adorn one cat, one person. There is someone in this category who did a phenomenal job and her win is so much more significant. We need this to happen. We, you know what I'm saying? It needs to happen. And not because not only for it being a historic moment, she is phenomenal in the movie. But I'm just saying, but because that is also working in tandem here, should be a no-brainer. Right. It should be a no-brainer. That's how I look at it. You know, she does there's gonna we're not gonna be we're not gonna care about two Emma Stone Oscars years from now. You know what I mean? But we will care that we finally have awarded this to a, a third woman of color in ninety-six years of Oscars. Because the last one was last year's Michelle Yeoh, and twenty-two years ago, Halle Berry was the first. It's insane. It's insane that that, that in a hundred years of Oscar we've decided that three women of color are deserving of this category. And I don't trust them. No. To do the right thing. I don't. don't It seems obvious to everyone but them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't trust them. I mean, the whole, you mentioned Chadwick Boseman earlier. I mean. Oh, gosh. I mean, if they can pull off that debacle, they can find a way to screw this up. It's embarrassing. Anthony Hopkins wasn't even there. He literally (laughs) shows up on the call. I am glad you gave it to me, but also that Chadwick Boseman guy was pretty talented, so. I didn't even show up because I knew it was going somewhere else. Like, okay. Yeah, I don't trust embarrassing. Him. I don't trust him. I can't. I I don't. Like I said, palms are sweaty, mom's spaghetti. I just can't. Yeah. I, the conversation and, and my my biggest anxiety comes from the fact that we're talking about this, but I don't hear a lot of conversation about the historical significance of her potentially winning this award. You know, they're it, they're kind of just talking about it very casual, casually, like you know, like oh yeah, homegirl's really good here. She's number two, and and then Emma Stone was really great. This, you know, what I mean, it's not really. They're not really like honing in on how 
consequential in many ways this is from a cultural standpoint you know like and so i i I hope that that weighs on their minds when they when they vote because i mean and it's not a pity vote it's just that it it would mean a lot more and and you know and it is deserving so you know so laron i have to hold your feet to the fire what is your official prediction (sighs) obviously my shit is lily gladstone and my 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 I'm going to go ahead and just say my will cuz I'm going to will it into existence is Lily Gladstone as as well. We're manifesting here. We're, manifesting. we're going to manifest it. <laughs> Should yes. win, will win Lily Gladstone or like I said, having talked to some native actresses about their take on her being nominated, they're ready to riot. <laughs> Oh, she doesn't oh, win. It's like, am I invited to join your posse? It's like, yes, please march with us. <laughs> I'll, I'll march we, on. I'll march on the academy with you guys. I don't even the... think Emma Stone <laughs> wants a second. She herself is like, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have done the role. Listen, She's also feel, feeling the like. I don't listen. This. All the people who are who are on Team Emma here. I got an idea. What if you give it to Lily Gladstone and use all this energy and put it towards her Emmy campaign for the curse? I would be super on board Do that. with that. <laughs> Frankly, okay, and this is, leads into my predictions. I prefer subdued performance. I, the older I get, I, I was not this way even 10 years ago, but the older yeah. I get, I really lean a lot more towards the subdued performances. What are the things they're able to emote and communicate to me without saying very many things? And uh, I think actually Emma Stone has a very, very impressive, nuanced performance, like low-key nuanced performance in that show. But that's not this movie. That's not the performance she gave here. That said, I think will win, should win Lily Gladstone. But I'm saying like it's like a 55 Lily, 45 Emma type feeling. Mm -hmm. It can go either way. And unlike a lot of these categories, I will be extremely upset if she doesn't it's win feeling a lot I'm like nervous, the guys, political election this year it's like i just i i'd like to think but i don't trust us i think i'm really glad you brought up the chadwick boseman thing because that is a great example of well obviously it should go to him and he's not and he's he's no longer with us they literally moved the ceremony around to put the best lead actor at the end of the ceremony and everyone's like oh yeah because they're gonna end it with a great tribute to chadwick boseman Anthony Hopkins. I will never forget what, I can't even remember which one of us said it, but it was the conversation that my husband and I had after that happened. There was a long pause, but then they like immediately cut. Like they didn't even know oh, what it wrapped to do. Up fast. They're like, oh, we're, stop. Just, oh, just oh. stop the show. And I was like, well, at least we legitimately know now that they have no idea who the winners are until the show. Yep. Like ab- until those envelopes are actually opened because- there's no way they would have set up that show. It's almost like everybody looked at each been. other and was like, you're doing the right thing, right? You're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. We're, we're all well, doing we all it. get what I'm, the signals we're sending, right? Yeah. And, okay. and it's like, you know for sure that nobody knows until that envelope gets opened after a moment like that. And this is why voting is important and everyone should vote this year in the election. This really <laughs> consequential year of elections. We don't know who, what people are doing at the ballot box. Yeah, don't assume your friend's voting the same way don't as you. Assume. And don't assume they're voting at all. Um, and don't assume that the Academy is going to do the right thing, but hope. Really hard, like put it out into the universe. Yeah, yes, yes. That brings us to our final category of the day, which I feel like is very anticlimactic. It is. Yeah. It's going to be how it is at the Oscars. Everyone actually. is biting their nails for best actress, and and they're like, whatever about best picture. Yeah, best picture. We know, we know what's going to Oppenheimer. What are we talking about? Okay, <laughs> uh, best picture. Just a reminder, uh, 
listeners, the nominees are American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. All right, Brandy. Throw, throw us a wild card. Who's going to win? There isn't a wild card in this. I mean, I just feel like it's very, very obvious that it's going to Oppenheimer. I just don't feel like there's any way that it's not. I mean, I would be very shocked. I guess they've surprised me before, but I just feel like the will win is Oppenheimer. I feel like they have all of the momentum. It's just hard to imagine a scenario where it doesn't end up that way. I'm not mad about it. Like, I don't want to put down in any way Oppenheimer and the cinematic achievement that it is. Was it my favorite? No. I mean, is it in about the middle of the pack for me of this group of films? Yes. Um, Am I surprised to see it dominate? Maybe a little bit that it's dominated quite this Mm -hmm. much. But at the same time, I feel like it's very... It's very Oscar-y. I don't want to say it's Oscar bait because I feel like there's a very negative negative connotation of that. And I wouldn't want to say that about it because I think it does, I think part of what makes it stand out is that it takes some of those things that you think of when you think of Oscar bait and it does it, 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 it innovates. Transcends it, 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 yeah. It transcends and innovates some of those type of things. All of the movies that I would say are Oscar bait kind of movies, something that are historical, you know, kind of uh, epics, Killers of the Fire Moon, um, Zone of Interest, Oppenheimer. I think all of them do innovative and interesting things that help elevate them beyond that. I, the only one that I would really even consider Oscar Beatty kind of is Maestro. Maestro. Um, <laughs> that is the this. that's the one that I feel like is turbo. Like the that's the reason I don't like the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's the one that really feels very Oscar Beatish out of all of this. So I I, I wouldn't want to, but it, I feel like Oppenheimer is the type of movie that the Academy likes. It's the type of movie that Academy voters understand, mm. you know. And I think that you've seen, if you heard some of the takes from the old school, old guard screenwriters about Killers of the Flower Moon, you understand that not everybody is necessarily on board with the modern day thinking about cinema. Yeah. I mean, you just, I mean, it's like, oh, that movie should have been about about Leonardo DiCaprio and him not being a stupid guy or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like, really? Yeah, okay, that's Thanks, Paul sure. Schrader. Yeah. Thanks. Just, why don't you not, you know, for a minute? I, I, I feel like... That is a movie. I don't feel like those people are ready for American fiction. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, or Barbie for that matter. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like. Yeah, to think that Barbie's not even top three in this sense, considering it was such a cultural sweep this year. Because I don't think that the Academy. They don't a, acknowledge it that way. They've done a lot of work in the last few years in trying to diversify the membership, but you can't accomplish that in three to five years yeah. after. A nearly a century of it predominantly being old white guys that get to vote. So, I mean, I think that it's very difficult to imagine. I just feel like Oppenheimer is a very obvious choice in this area for a lot of reasons. And that isn't to say that it isn't a deserving piece of cinema at the same time. But it also feels like if Christopher Nolan was going to win one, 
in his career. It's not going to be one of his sci-fi epics. It's going to be no, a biopic. These guys aren't going to vote for Inception or uh, the you know a Batman movie. I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like he's he's going to get it for making the type of movie that they Oscar see. voters like. Like I said, and that doesn't necessarily make it an undeserving film. I think it makes it. That was exciting. Um, well, um, because it's a safer choice, and I don't want to say that it's a safe choice necessarily, or everybody would vote for Maestro, but I think that it is a safer choice than I don't see a lot of them getting behind Anatomy of a Fall, you know, something right. like that. I don't feel like they're going. Oh, like procedural? Who would? I mean, like what? Whatever, you know, or past lives. Mm-mm. Like I don't think that you can see them getting behind a romantic drama that's steeped in sort of Korean philosophy. I mean, Mm-mm. that's a little bit too arcane for a lot of Oscar voters. I feel like this is an, and that's why I'm okay with it. I think because it's it's a great film that also happens to appeal to Oscar right. voters. Right. So I feel like it's the obvious choice, and I'm not I'm not mad about it because he. It's truly a great piece of filmmaking, and there were some things that were done that were very innovative about it that made it infinitely more watchable than just your sort of standard Oppenheimer biopic. And technically impressive. You know, he could have made this movie for like $20 million probably, honestly, strip away all the flashiness. But he said, no, I want 100 mil, and it's going to be three hours long. It's going to be rated R. And, you know, so, yeah, there are big swings. I'm going to film it on IMAX, something that no other director would do. Right. Which, making it safe, yes, but also safe but innovative. Yeah. But Ron, uh, personally, like in my should would probably be a past lives or um, or Anatomy of a Fall in this category. Um, they're higher up on my list, even with Poor Things being my favorite movie of the year. It's not the one I want to take the gold here, um, but you know, for all the reasons that you've said, Brandy, I yeah, I uh, Oppenheimer is in my top five. I do think it is a very you know significant technical achievement um and it and it's definitely still a nolan film and it appeals to the kind of nolanisms that he he's imbued in all his other films but in a package that's palatable to a certain group of people and so i think that um if ever he was going to win an oscar it would have to be under these parameters and so that's maybe that's what it is is it feels like you know, he he he's made this film under the right conditions, under the right circumstances, and in the right framework for the Academy to um, be receptive to it, and that's fine because it is still a good film. You know, so um, so my sh- my should would be a Past Lives or Anatomy of the Fall, but will win will be Oppenheimer, and I am not upset about it. Yeah, I I, th- I agree with everything you said. You know, Ron, you and I have talked about this in past years, and we talk about one of the things we look for in Best Picture is a film that feels like it's capturing the moment in some way. Sure. And I think something we haven't talked about a ton in this specific conversation, but we did a little bit in the uh, review of Oppenheimer, that, that for me makes it a, a very deserving choice, is there's a lot of crazy stuff happening with AI right now. Uh you know, I know we're all talking about it and there've been some connections I've read about, you know, Hey, you know, you build the nuclear bomb, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. We're doing, we're dealing with a really similar thing with AI right now. And I think the connection, I see the connection right now between the invention of the nuclear bomb and the invention of some of these generative AI technologies that we're building. I think it's going to age. <laughs> it's going to age the movie. Well, in the context, depending on how AI advances and depending on how we as a society responded respond to it. To it. 
Um, so in that way, I actually think Oppenheimer, despite being a historical biopic, is very timely in that way. And because of that, I'm willing to say, uh, I'm happy to say, I think it'll, I think it will win. I still think Killers of the Flower Moon's about something very important. So, and it has my bias. That was my number one movie of last year. There's this idea of Americans reckoning with sin uh, in a very specifically American lens that it's really, I don't know, it just really connects deeply with me. But also on a more international level, you're looking at you know exploring the the, the nature and the coercion, coercive, the ways that evil coerces well-meaning people. Something we talked about earlier in this mm. conversation that I think makes it more universal in that way too. So if I was picking, I would pick Killers of Flower Moon only because I just think. Martin Scorsese's a master and he's dealing with themes that are very relevant to th my interests that I think are also very applicable to the human condition. Sure. But Oppenheimer, I think undoubtedly will win. And I think it's an extremely worthy contender here. So I'm not going to be mad about it whatsoever. All right. That said, uh, anything else we want to add about the Oscars today? I'm really happy that they included. Um, we're having a new casting. Um, category not this year definitely not best stunts though not this year but i think that that's next that's i would say uh the inclusion of casting i think that's long overdue i'm right. glad that they're finally doing that um but i do think stunts stunts work should also be a category at the oscars as well so yeah we are adding categories which, We're is, adding some, categories, which is a big step which is a big step so. right brandy i um i'm very excited i am very excited i again we've had the discussion about lily and our hopes for her winning the oscar but I am very excited to see this film that was made in Oklahoma that was such a big part of Oklahoma film um, and it's such a big story coming out of Oklahoma. I'm just glad to see it, you know, like contending so much in award season, hopefully getting people talk, talking about this history, which is, um, I think is resonated a lot globally, maybe more than people expected, that there's a lot of indigenous populations that have been shoved aside in the name of, you know, whatever, um, you know, ra racism and greed, largely. Um, so I, I, I think it's very exciting to see this um, film um, continue to be a contender um, throughout the award season. It broke a number of records, um, including in three different categories for either indigenous or native representation. So I think that's very exciting. Um, some other ones as well, but um, those, those three are particularly exciting. And, and I also um, am very excited to see Lily Gladstone's other film that was made in Oklahoma, Fancy Dance, get distribution. From don't, Apple? Yeah. It's, I don't think it's going to get the size of award season campaign that <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon gets, unfortunately, but I'm very excited to see I think that more people will watch it though now than ever would because of Killers now though. They have a little Lily Gladstone so connection on uh, collection on Apple. Mm -hmm. I'm serious, you know. That's good. Yeah, yeah. It's nice, and so I'm excited to see that that film will have a chance to um, to contend. Looking at how stacked this year was and how competitive it was does make me a little concerned for this year in terms of with the strike and everything else. I don't have a lot of films that I'm just as excited to see as I was last year. So I'm a little concerned about 
Who's gonna so be you're contending? saying Dune's winning best picture? So, so uh, what I'm saying, what I'm hearing is Dune all the way, baby. Next year, let's go. Uh, let's hope Twisters wins all the technical awards. I yeah. mean, maybe Listen, it'll be Twister for everything. If we have an Oscar show where it's just Dune and, and Furiosa in every category, I, I'm not, I'm not hating on it. You know, <laughs> that was for us. Yes, that was definitely just for us. With Twisters being the Oklahoma entry, and I'll take it. That so I'll take it. Glenn yeah. Powell for best lead actor. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, as far as Putting somebody in the play, it's like the very first trailer of that debuted, and I'm like, oh, he's going to play a cocky Oklahoma slash Texas. Well, okay, yeah. That's the bill. You know exactly how to use him, don't you? Yes. Glenn Powell, perfectly. It's like, <laughs> who is going to play this? It's definitely going to be Glenn Powell. I just, um, I'm like, okay, so points for casting. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah. That, <laughs> in that role, but... I yeah, think it's going to be a fun time. I'm I'm looking forward to Twisters. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping it's a good like B movie. Right. Like, just, yeah, sure. just elevated B movie. Let's just not make it. Yeah. But I'm a little concerned about what we're going to talk about here a year from now. It's I like, agree. What movies are we going to talk about? Well, we, we are still early in the year, and there are there's the, some cool things coming out of Sundance, but I don't think they're going to be nearly of the same scale. Or I think we're going to see a lot of indies. I think we're not going to see a lot of commercially successful movies that are nominated. I think we're going to see a lot of tiny movies getting recognition. Cause... Will Deadpool host the Oscars next year? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, so you're saying, though, there isn't a Anatomy of Fall, which was a hit at Sundance mm. last year uh, that's gone all the way. Yeah. Right? No. Well, um, I'm optimistic. I don't know, in terms of prestige films, I have learned to hold my breath a little bit and wait until after May, yeah. and especially after September. If you get to September and it's looking dire, it's going to be a rough ride for the rest yeah, of the year. For sure. um, but I I see your point. We did our preview episode earlier this year and a lot of studio stuff that looks like it could be good. But in terms of like Oscar caliber stuff, it's not much. I mean, Mickey 17 was on the docket and I don't know if that's an Oscar movie, but it is from Bong Joon-ho. But even that got pulled off the, the yeah. release calendar. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll it's see. It's just hard. I mean, it's I think we're going to look at this year and think, man. Last we had, year, we were spoiled. We had some movies that were really duking it out. Oh, yeah. That were absolutely, you know, like it was mm -hmm. tough to, it was, it was a little bit of, you know, a, a hunger games to get to see who was going to get to the top. And next year, we might all be hungry. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I would say, to, to put a pen in it, 2023, I, re, I legitimately think is one of the greatest years at the movies in my lifetime. Top top five, probably. I mean, in recent memory, certainly. Yeah. Um, I mean, because it was... Bangers, prestige movies, blockbusters, and indies, quality blockbusters, yeah, like yeah. Barbenheimer, like that. What a fun weekend, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, yeah. And now we're going back into the desert uh, as it may. Um, Literally. With that said, uh, Brandy, where can people follow you and your work online? Well, Oklahoman.com is the Oklahoman's uh, website, and that's primarily what I spend my time doing is making that look fabulous. And you have a ton of amazing Killers of Flower Moon coverage from over the years. We have, and we have more coming. Um, we're going to do a follow-up interview with Yancey Redcorn. He was the one who played the chief in that, and he is an Osage actor from here in Oklahoma. He lives in Norman. Um, we, we did a Q&A with him, but it got cut a little bit short, and his, some of his experiences cut, got cut a little bit short because of the SAG strike. And so we're getting a chance to kind of revisit with uh, – with him and um, I wish Angela was here because I guess in some of the native press he's he's been labeled that sort of a hot uncle. He's kind of got a hot, <laughs> hot uncle, hot uncle energy. So he's kind of been in that sort of native press world a little bit of a emerges an unlikely sex symbol maybe a little bit. 
so that'll be a fun day. Yeah. I mean, he looks great on the stage at the award shows he when does. he shows up. Yeah. He really does. And then we are going to talk to Scott George uh, as well, the, oh, cool. the, the, uh, the composer that was nominated, and hopefully a few other Osage folks who worked on uh, some of the different parts of the, the film. I, one of the things I think is interesting to note is on a big picture like that, it is a team effort, right? I mean, you know, somebody is the costume designer or the production designer who gets that sort of you know, nomination, but there were a lot of Osage folks who were on the team for that to make sure that it was at top levels of accuracy. So we're going to talk to some of those folks as well. So it should be a fun time leading up to the Oscars this year. Cool. Oklahoma, ladies and gentlemen, check it out online. Lots of great coverage, a lot of exclusive coverage uh, for that matter. Laurent Chapman? Um, you can follow my reviews on the cinematropolis.com. Uh, and of course, you can follow me always on the Cinematropolis uh, on the social media channels. Uh, letter C Masters Talk. That's uh, spelled with the letter C Masters Talk. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, everyone. We'll catch you again next time in our review of the hotly anticipated Dune Part Two. It's going to be a good one. <laughs> <laughs>